The Outer Worlds graces PlayStation once more. You say potato, I say potato. Dev say Series S. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. Uh, Pre-rolled in by quite the cheeky intro. Uh, as Chris sits here petting his Series S. <laughs> um, mm. You know, we always spend a little bit of time figuring out what we want, what we want the, the pre-roll uh, to be, and then we kind of do it in real time. I thought that one was quite fun. It's cheeky. The Series <laughs> S is a great value, but it does pose some questions that we will get into here in a little bit. But if you're new to the podcast, first and foremost, welcome. We hope you stick around, enjoy the show. We are going to be talking about a handful of stuff today, me and one good Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Brett? I'm doing well. Chris, yeah. hmm. are you ready to join me in talking about state of play and what all it brought for everyone? Of course, what the Series S continues to be in terms of developer um, discontent. <laughs> and of course, the Forspoken studio being folded back into Square Enix and much more. But before we get there, we're going to start off the show in the way that we always do, and that's checking in on what Chris and I have been playing so that we can hopefully give each other ideas for games we may not have seen or heard about uh, or that may pique our interest and hopefully may do the same for you. Chris, I start with you as always. What have you been playing this week that is not (laughs) Marvel Snap? Um, I mean, the true answer Or Midnight Suns. Oh, Ooh. or uh, Deadpool, uh, Apex Legends. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what you're telling me is you've had a very Marvel heavy week. I have a marvelous week. Uh, yeah, it's we could say that in terms of the games I'm playing anyway. It's a Marvelish week. Yeah. Um, no, I've been playing a lot of Marvel Snap. Um, I got back into Midnight Suns with the uh, Deadpool and Venom DLC, trying to knock out that platinum. Finally, that was that was more just for me than the the competition because honestly, the competition is kind of over for me now. But that's okay. Uh, <laughs> we had a latecomer who yeah. came in, and my, the favorite thing that he said <laughs> was that he wanted to come in way past the beginning. So he can still win and he can be part of his uh, anime origin story, if I remember correctly, or villain origin story. Yeah, Yeah, it's quite good. That's pretty solid. Um, But yeah, other than that, uh, Midnight Suns is still great. I really like the Deadpool DLC. And I'm actually pretty surprised at how they've put him in the main story. Um, Because I've been doing that with my New Game Plus run. Um, And you can use Deadpool in the main story missions. I haven't unlocked Venom yet because I'm imagining he's later on because of what happens in the game, but uh, it's just cool how he like has lines in some of the story missions when like he was not there when it was being created, so it was pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Venom, though, like you can play as Venom now, but if I remember correctly, Venom was always shown in the trailers, was he not? Yeah, I'm trying not to spoil anything about the game. That's why I'm not saying about why i don't think he's playable yet so that's no that's fair i was just curious because i knew that they were talking about having that dlc but i also it was weird because i would have thought the game dropped with that because of the trailer well i guess it's the pitch right the pitch for the dlc is just um venom is trying to redeem himself for what he did during the main game and that's the whole 
DLC thing. Fair enough. So, uh, and then yeah, other than that, I've been playing the PS3 version of Deadpool, which I said half jokingly in our Discord that it was uh, Nolan's no- no- Jesus Nolan North's greatest performance. And I said it as a joke, but I think it's true. It's probably the funniest I've ever seen him. It's like that and David, like up there. <laughs> I mean, him as Deadpool is great, and there's a lot of really great little vocal Easter egg and crazy things that happen in that. Um, like him calling himself Deadpool yeah. calling Nolan North. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean... With all that in mind, I, I do like that game quite a bit. You know, I mean, I feel like Nolan North's become a little less uh, prominent in the late years of this gen, whereas uh, conversely, his uh, his brother in the game that he's most known for, Mr. Troy Baker, continues to just be seemingly in everything. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's there's good and bad for it. I just think the more that you hear a voice actor, the harder it starts to get to have them maintain a sense of identity that's a character. Yeah. Like at certain points, if a voice actor becomes too known, it gets really hard to feel like you're listening to some new character that you don't know and being like, oh, that's Nolan North. Though, conversely, the same thing exists when you become so inundated with thinking of a voice actor as a single character. And then they do so many voice roles. Eventually, they're going to kind of just do another version of themselves. And then you're going to be playing a game and being like, oh, that's Nathan Drake. (laughs) And and both are Well, that was kind of the big failing of devs in the PS3 era with Nolan North specifically is you got a lot of games like Dark Void, which were like, hey, just do Nathan Drake. And I think that didn't benefit him because you look at something like him as David in Uncharted and or uh, The Last of Us, sorry, and you would not know that that's him. So he well, has and then the you range, had games but. that came that you have games that came like right after where I don't really think it was that they were telling him to do Nathan Drake. Where I think I can definitely see that in something like Dark Void. But, you know, he was the voice of uh, the Prince in the 2008 Prince of Persia reboot, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic game, and I, I truly love it. But it's, he's not a greatly different character in that. He's kind of a wise-cracking smartass who kind of goes off and does things on his own. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do. Absolutely. I don't know if I'd say... I, I don't think he was typecast at that point because of Nathan Drake. I just think that maybe he was typecast because of his general personality. I'm curious you know like well, i mean were, was he going in and doing it doing the um the auditions and people were being like oh we love it just be you just, like just be you but with the way that we're writing this character as like be yourself if you were snarky be yourself if you were trying to be witty you know it's like okay so nathan drake is what you're saying exactly <laughs> yeah which to his point that's what uh back whenever the original you know amy um was over everything over there she talked about how whenever nolan north came in like him just going through it was like that's that's nathan drake and nathan drake is not that far removed from just nolan no yeah i agree i just think they uh i think sitting at the time it was it felt like a lot of like we're taking advantage of him being the main character of this huge thing and you recognize the voice which might make you want to play the game more that's how it felt to me in that era but yeah well you know and a a separate conversation that ties into this 
quite well is I know people talk about like you don't do that with like actors. Like, right, if you see Leonardo DiCaprio in one movie, you're not like, there's Jack from Titanic. <laughs> It getting mauled by a bear, you know what I mean? Yeah, like but that, you are that's not what you do. Sure, but you do go. That's Leonardo DiCaprio being mauled by a bear, <laughs> and I think that's true. But I think the real reason as to why it's easier to kind of suspend disbelief and just be like, "That's a character," is because when it's a movie and you see these faces and you go through, you already expect them to sound and look the way they do. I think what gets weird about video games is that you can have a very, very similar voice and you can put 10 different faces to that voice. And because of that, it makes it really hard to identify. You recognize the voice more than anything. And then you start being like separate from a visual tie in. It just starts to be like, well, that's him. And I can't, it'd be easier to overlook if it was a similar face that I'm seeing along with it. But since you keep seeing a different look, I think that as we are as people, we expect people who look pretty different to sound different. And then we're like, oh, well, I've heard that guy. (laughs) I kind of know exactly who that is. I mean, I can can definitely be there with that. It's more than just him. It's just the more you do it, the more you notice it, right? Because like Destiny 2, uh, the lady who is in the little um, shop, I can't remember what it's called, Eververse, uh, is Claudia Black, who plays Chloe. And every time I hear her talk, I'm like, that's Chloe. Every time yeah. I win that game and she's like, the Eververse is, I'm like, oh, there goes Chloe. There she <laughs> is. So it's not, it just becomes a bigger issue when you've been in more games as a very prominent character. Oh, there's Lance Reddick. <laughs> Guardians. God. <laughs> Guardians. It's time for Lightfall. <laughs> Guardians. Sniff my fingers. Do they stink? Enjoy, enjoy Lightfall Velvet. <clears throat> Good luck. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that's good. So just nothing but Marvel and apparently Apex. Yeah, nothing but Marvel and apparently Apex. And even during Apex, I'm playing Marvel Snap, so it's pretty bad. Great great story, though. I got... Um, so I've talked a couple times on this show about how I'm trying to get my... Uh, my girlfriend to play video games and there was one night at work where I was washing dishes and she was waiting for me to get out. And I'm like, I just put on Marvel snap and I'm like, tell me the locations and tell me what, what cards I draw and I'll tell you where to put them. So we're doing that. And then she's like getting really into it. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, you just play it. So she kept playing it and she just texted me the other day. She's like, I mean, I, I downloaded that damn game and I can't stop playing. and I don't know what I'm doing, but I can't stop playing it. I'm like, oh, it's happening. The time has come. <laughs> it's awesome. Though. I, was, I was really glad that she liked it because it's a lot of fun. So, Well, to that, uh, I'll front load my what I've been playing with the fact that PSVR 2 came out. And while we've talked at ends about how it wasn't enough to pull you in, uh, I so it's you know you won't have much to say on that. So for anybody who's waiting to kind of get a more VR heavy episode, uh, tune in next week. I'm not going to say too much just yet, uh, but we are going to have a VR focused episode with a guest next week. Chris is going to be stepping out for some work schedule stuff that just lines out better for him. So with all that in mind, uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about it a little bit more, but. <clears throat> I've been playing VR, and I played Gran Turismo 7 VR, which there's a conversation we had around that and the social media sphere around that game. Uh, But my wife and my daughter 
for the last two nights, we've just been rotating through vacation simulator where I'll play for like 30 minutes. And then my girl, you know, my, my wife will play for 30 minutes and then my daughter will play for like 30 minutes and we'll just try and keep rotating out. And last night my wife played for like an hour and a half (laughs) (laughs) while I was just kind of sitting there and it's been interesting because she's not a huge gamer, you know, like she has a switch and she'll play like, She's been getting into Tetris and uh, Tetris Effect or whichever one it is that you have, you know, you play against 99 other people or whatever it be. Uh, maybe Tetris it's not a fact, maybe, it's t- maybe, yeah. Anyway, it's that style one. And she's been playing that. And she plays, like I've mentioned on the show before, like Pokemon Cafe and Animal Crossing. So it's very casual-driven games. And not to say that VR and Vacation Simulator in this particular instance is anything other than that. But it's nice seeing her get into it and interact. Though it comes with the flip side of having to really con- control myself from not wanting to be like, just wait till it floats up by your hand and then grip it. Because like they'll be reaching down to try and pick stuff up and they're trying to close their hand to grip around something that they've not even reached at yet. And I'm like, how could – in real life, if you were going to grab your drink, right, and you you moved and then right before you got to your cup, you closed your hand, you wouldn't pick shit up. So why in the video game would you think the same thing? Just throwing that out there, you know, Chris, you're muted just so you're aware. Yeah, it was kind of the same thing as when um, she's playing and I'm trying to teach her. And instead of like trying to make her work out what to do, I'm just like, I'm just like, there, put it there, put it there, put it there. And then I'm just like ending turns. She's like, I don't even know what you did. I'm like, no, I know. That's fine. That's fine. We won. It's okay. <laughs> and you were part of that. <laughs> I was part of that. Yes. She, she no, did make it happen. But yeah. Really fun experience to have her like getting into it. I was very happy about it. Well, Chris, I don't know if my testimony can tell you anything, but going away from the games that are not necessarily family focused, Vacation Simulator is great. I did not play it on PSVR uh, one for an. A number of reasons, uh, but I really enjoyed Job Simulator. So coming into it, I was really surprised at how much more in-depth this game is. There's multiple zones and multiple areas that you can move freely between, whereas the first one is just like, hey, put this cartridge in and we're going to load you into an area and that's it. This is far more involved, and it's a really good show of a lot of the technology that's there. Uh, So this plays into multiple games. I played some No Man's Sky VR as well, and you know how they have uh, the vibration in the headset. Mm-hmm. That is a game changer, in my opinion. It really helps with a lot of the things that I think have the biggest time of breaking immersion or causing motion sickness because of the fact that you're not hearing or seeing or feeling things that you feel like your body should be feeling. And to that end, uh, No Man's Sky, when you get into your v- when you get into your spaceship and you go and you break out of the atmosphere, as you're kind of breaking into speed, you'll feel your head vibrate. And it matches what you'd expect to feel. And you can feel it in your hands and everything. And I think it really goes a long way to help you from getting that motion sickness that comes with like, well, in the game I'm moving, but in life I'm not. And um, Vacation Simulator's got this thing where you can create your character. You have an avatar this time around that you create. And as you're putting hair on, there's a little razor And as you pick the razor up, whatever hand you pick it up in is vibrating because it's on. But as you lift it to your head to like cut your beard or cut your hair, the 
headset starts vibrating like you've got a, a you know something vibrating on your head and it's a huge immersion boost uh, there's a part where you stick your head or you can stick your head into a waterfall in the game and as you stick your head to the waterfall the vibration kind of crawls across the top of the head as you're going in that's pretty and cool. it's pretty wild yeah that sounds pretty neat yeah so between that and the haptics on the you know it, it's like at this point, it's just comparing PSVR 1, which I know is your reference point to PSVR yeah. 2. Like we can completely leave out Oculus and all the other ones. Uh, but I think that the jump is so noticeable. The resolution, the clarity, uh, just how clean and nice everything looks, the amount of adjustments on the headset that can be made. And then those little final touches like the uh, having the adaptive triggers and whatnot. Finger tracking if you're in certain games. Like uh, I haven't played it yet, but Horizon, um, what is it? Call, Call of the, the Mountain. mountain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can actually, like, it, you can show off that it knows which fingers you have touching the controller at any given time. And that's a huge thing, because, I mean, that's exactly what Half-Life Alex was trying to show. So, all of that together. And then there's the crowning jewel of, v- of VR so far for me. And that is Gran Turismo 7 in VR. With the steering wheel in my seat, it is amazing. <laughs> it, is, it is so good and for some crazy reason there has started this thing where some people who are you know personalities in the gaming industry uh, and in the media are coming out saying how they thought Gran Turismo 7 was such an awful game and how it was bad but now that it's VR it's so great and that they can never see themselves um, like they, they still think that the game is probably bad on TV, but it's so great on VR. And I'm going to tell you as somebody who played this game in a very specific way. So I understand that comes with the privilege of having that experience as great as it is. And I mean, it is great. If you were playing that game with like a wheel in the first person perspective where you actually see the inside cockpit of your car, um, even on a flat screen, The VR version is just an enhancement of that. Part of what I think is going on is that some of these people like Danny O'Dwyer played Gran Turismo 7, kept the camera outside of the car, played, and then were like, well, this doesn't feel that immersive or anything. And then they go and get in the VR, and they're like, wow, I'm in the cockpit. And yeah, you are. You can actually look down and see everything around you. You can literally turn your head and look in your rearview mirror or turn up and then look in your side mirror and whatnot. But it's been really interesting seeing some people try and change the conversation. Like Gran Turismo 7 has always been a bad game that people are just now starting to like. (laughs) And that was something I did not anticipate VR to bring. (laughs) Even I know that's just not true. (laughs) It's weird. You know, like uh, fanboys on either side of the thing are trying to use it. Like people are now hyping up this dog shit racing game that no one liked last year. But now that it's VR, everyone loves it because they're just riding Sony. I'm like... What? <laughs> like this game has been very largely talked about quite positively by a high selection of people. It reviewed very well. What do you what more do you want of it? Yeah, that's weird cuz just because the game I don't know, the game was always good. I felt I never felt like people ever said it was bad. So I don't know, but I don't know why uh mode that makes you feel like you're in a car in a driving game making the game better is a shock to anybody. Like, I don't understand that world. 
Yeah, I think that's it. Clearly, it is better to feel like you're actually in the car and your movements and whatnot matter. But it's, I think that the thing before we're always, always that the conversation around Gran Turismo 7 is whether or not that's your type of game, right? Like, I think it's hard to have ever said that Gran Turismo 7's a bad game. I think people play it and they're like, oh, this is not my type. Like, this is not what I want from a racer. I want to feel like I'm powerful and hitting corners at 260 miles per hour and drifting like a professional because it's super arcadey. You know, like, Need for Speed Unbound is fun. I love that game and there's a place for that. Also, Chris, I sent you Christmas and forgot to send you Need for Speed Unbound. If you want me to send it, holler at me and I will send it. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad, but feel free to send it when you send Wolverine and Wanted. So go play Wanted. That's a fair point. Speaking of which, did you get your Christmas stuff? I did, <laughs> yes. I just, I just want to, I was going to make a post about it, but yeah, the cases look great. Um, did the pretzels survive? They did survive. They didn't survive the day, though, because I took them to work and everyone ate them. But <laughs> the pretzels did survive. Covers. Yeah, I was worried phenomenal. they would get melted. Yes, I was, I, I was surprised that they didn't melt at all, honestly. But it was also snowing here. So honestly, it was like the perfect time for you to send it because it was very cold. Yeah, but here was the problem. I was worried it would melt here. In transit. And then get to you. Yeah, because it was like 79 degrees here the other day. I just get a bag Today, of yogurt like and pretzels. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like just separated completely. Yes, exactly. Well, here's the pretzels. <laughs> here's a bed of yogurt, but no, I'm glad you got them. Yeah, I still love that little uh, detail on the Dante's Inferno cover of Dante's Inferno being in the bottom instead of the Eula or whatever. Great mm-hmm. work. Great work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, you know, I'm a very... It's, it's simple, Chris. It ain't much, but it's... It's honest work. Simple man with a simple plan. That's right. Uh, all right. So with that out of the way, I do recommend, Chris, if you ever just get to the point, I think that this will have a much longer lifespan uh, and it's a much better piece of tech at launch than PSVR 1 ever was. Oh, PSVR yeah. 1 just had that shock of like VR doesn't exist in an easy to get way yet. So even if it's super outdated technology it's fine like you know you just kind of roll with it but i think that's why it was kind of easy to drop out of psvr1 like after a couple of games mm. so it's like eh it's not really enough like you know it's not pushing it far enough so yeah if it you was ever always get it, a, i'll be curious to see your thoughts it's always been a price thing for me price is just too high right now no i completely understand yeah i honestly if i didn't have the reward points to get it and then spare because like i bought vacation simulator uh pre-ordered before your eyes and i bought um one other game what was it i don't know why my brain's failing me right now but that's okay um oh i think it was the bat game (laughs) i can't remember what the bat it was either that oh no it was i don't remember at this point it doesn't matter the point being Chris, I found a nugget, and I don't know if you saw when I posted it in the Discord or not. Uh, I don't think so. It's on multiple VR platforms, but there's a game for the VR 2 and Oculus and PC VR in general that is called Cactus Cowboys Planted War. I did see that, yes. Okay. It is free. It is somewhere in the ballpark of like five to seven hours long. It has... (laughs) 
it has real gameplay the entire time, like guns and grenades and all this. And it looks like if you took the VeggieTales styles of, pres- of presentation of like kind of shitty but endearing 3D rendering and made it about very adult-oriented themes. And I haven't played it yet, but it is on the docket, and I'm so excited. <laughs> because, first of all, it just looks up my alley. The trailer is great. It, it pulled everything for me. And then whenever I started realizing that it was on other platforms, it's got a 4.8 out of 5 on Oculus rating. Damn. And it's got a 9 out of 10 rating on Steam. <laughs> Okay, must be pretty good. I'm ready to prophesize for this game in particular, as long as it rises to the challenge and meets, you know, meets my expectation. I have high hopes. They're quite lofty. I got faith. Like George Michael. Like George Michael. (laughs) My man. (laughs) (laughs) And Fred Durst. We can't forget the best version of that song. I know. I didn't forget about the George Michael version. (laughs) (laughs) all right man so moving on before we go into the community's take we are returning with yet another question from one of our patrons velvet thunder we like to start off the episodes with some of these fun out there questions or something a little loose uh and so he comes in and says if you were in the hunger games and could only use a games console as a weapon which would you choose and why chris Oh God! Um, um, come back to me. You must have one, dude. I feel like I've got the perfect answer, and it was immediate. Okay. So, first of all, I gotta admit, I've never watched Hunger Games. I have no clue what the premise is, and I don't know if that plays into this question specifically. You watched Hunger Games for midweek matinee. It's called Battle Royale. It's the same thing. Battle Royale is an excellent movie. Great movie. But I've never watched Hunger Games. That's all I really know. So I I have a feeling that that doesn't really matter. And the real question here is basically you're thrown into a situation where you need to survive, but the only weapon you can use is a a video game console. So Mm -hmm. with that in mind, I have landed on what it is. You know how whenever you're dual wielding guns and like, you know, it's called a Kimbo? Yeah. I would be GameCube Akimbo. Hear me out. It is the perfect weapon. They are dense as fuck. They have eight very sharp edges and corners. And they have handles so that you can get them, swing them around however you want, or you can flick them up forward and just punch people with them like boxing gloves. It is the perfect answer. And Nintendo is known, if we're being honest, Nintendo is known for the fact that their consoles survive bombs and shit. Okay. Like I love PlayStation, but ask me any day of the week. And my old PlayStation still work. But ask me any day of the week if I'd rather be hit with a PlayStation or a fucking GameCube, I will be taking a PlayStation all day long. The fat PS3 is a pretty monstrous second backup because it is a dense boy. But, you know. Okay. This question's way. Now I misheard you, and I was trying to think of like a video game weapon. That that was where I I, I misheard, so that's why I got. You confused can only here. use a game's console as a weapon. That's super easy then. And I, while I like the Game Boy answer or GameCube answer, GameCube, GameCube for sure. Problem is too light. 
Um, I'm going with the OG Xbox. And uh, I'm that like, was almost my answer. I'm just putting it on a stick and I've got a battle axe. Like that's like easy. Yeah. <laughs> easy, dude. Are you kidding me? That thing's like 8,000 pounds. The Duke controller is on their own. You could use them as like nunchucks or some shit. Nunchucks? Just... See, pop, 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 I was pop. thinking, I was Easy. thinking Nintendo 64 nunchucks. Oh, uh, okay. They're kind of sharp. You know what I mean? It's like they're very awkwardly, you know, there's, I feel like Nintendo's got a really deep well of answers for this. Do peripherals count? I mean, I would imagine. I mean, at some point, he said the games console, but I mean, I think everything around that console, like, let's say you found a console with all the peripherals attached. Bam. I think that has to qualify, right? Yeah. Like, you went and found a GameCube, and it's a GameCube that's got the little Game Boy Advance cartridge attachment on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I, that counts. I, so, what are we talking, Chris? What I do you think thinking? my answer is staying the Xbox, but I guess it depends on how fantasy this world is. Like... If if it, if I take the console and it like becomes a true weapon, like the it's the essence of the console is the weapon kind of thing, you know? Oh, yeah. that's a significantly more weird. Like, that's so abstract that I, that's a hard one to answer. See, but I don't think that's a hard one to answer. Actually, believe it or not. What do you think it is? The Steel battalion of the controller. Console. Because then you get a mech. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you get fair. the essence of what the Spiel Battalion controller is, you get a mech, which means you win. But how big, right? Like, I, it depends, though. Like, it doesn't even matter how big. Like, even if well, it's I mean, like if it's a, a mech miniature that's this mech, big, yeah. So shooting yeah, bullets. How- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at that point, are they like BBs? If you nah. scale a mech down, you know what yeah. I mean? Is it like getting a hit with an airsoft gun? Maybe, but enough times, like, you're, you're running away. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that we're limited to specifically games consoles. If I take a second and broaden it out to tech and like tech in general, mm-hmm. uh, do you remember back when the uh, Samsung Galaxy Note eight or whatever were exploding <laughs> were exploding i would just yeah. i would just have power banks on me and i would overcharge them on purpose and then like <laughs> throw them and be like into the foxhole oh! <laughs> <And the> duck <laughs> you you got your legal pre-bans 100 <laughs> dude i like that that's a solid answer yeah i'm, I'm going yeah. with the original xbox or a steel battalion controller whichever one you like better so i've got I'm sticking with GameCube, but since we can pull in some of the other things that came around it, right? I'm going to say that since the GameCube had GameCube had adapters for you to use the Nintendo 64 controllers on, I'm going to include Nintendo 64 controllers, so those can be my little <clears throat> nunchucks. Okay, I like that. <clears throat> I think whenever I went back to GameCube, my answer was really focused on the fact that he said I could only use games console. So it sounds like you're talking about putting a weapon through an xbox like yeah and then using it as a weapon turning the xbox into a weapon that kind of feels like cheating because you're using something that's already a weapon so like i was thinking if i had to only hold the console the gamecube with a handle like i would have went og xbox if it had a handle because it's such a feel like weight alone the xbox wins like you could i think i could i think i could beat you 
I think I could beat you in a fight if you had GameCube controllers. I think bare fisted I could beat you in that fight. Well, you remember? Uh, well, you, yeah, you may, you may, you may not. Do you remember in the uh, what is that movie that you hated so much called? Oh, um, uh, you didn't. It's like one of the first episodes we did. I know it's what movie, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. The something experiment, Belco experiment, the Belco experiment. Okay. Do you remember that one super cool scene when the guy's got the projector lighting up his face and he's got the thing and he's just bashing it over? I can imagine that with an Xbox. Exactly. I can't imagine that with GameCubes. Oh, okay. First of all, yes. One in each hand and just whoop, whoop. Dude, think about those corners. And they're small, so that means it's almost impossible not to get hit by at least one corner. Whereas with the Xbox, they're kind of large; they're bigger than your head. You could get hit by it, and you're probably not going to get by hit by anything that's sharp or pokey. It's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a brick. You know, it's going to be like, you know, a, a twelve inch by twelve inch brick hitting your face or something. Yeah, but I the mean, GameCube, man, it's like it's all aggression. It's all well, just sharp corners. I feel like I feel like you could cut people with a GameCube. To, to be fair, we don't have enough parameters to give a great answer. Because if this is a stealth mission, then any console, right? <laughs> all you need is you would need a pre-wireless contro- wireless controller era console, because then oh, you get so the you controllers. Yeah, and then you got garrots. Mm. You know, mm. can't garrot nobody fair. with a PS5 controller. That's a fair point. Unless you use two PS5 controllers and just crush the neck, <laughs> or you use the included USB-C. Nah, that cord's too small. <laughs> you need some length like yeah you need those old ones where they were like well this has got to be long enough for you to actually play now they're just like ah fuck it he can charge for a little bit this. i'm sorry audio <laughs> listeners if you can't see it this is a ps2 wire we got three loops now four loops and there and oh, four loops yeah P- that, that wire that's a garage and a half <laughs> i could garage the guy and hang him with the leftover string <laughs> <laughs> And that's what matters in the Hunger Games. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, Chris. Good answer. I'll give thank it to you. you. Thank you. Thank All you. right. We're going to move into the community's take. And if you are new to the show, that is where at the end of every episode, we come up with a question either about what was going on that episode, something fun that we think would be fun for everyone to answer, or rephrase a question that came to us from one of our listeners. And that's what we did um, last week with the community's take that we gave. Um so what we do is we take that question, we put it out there, and we get you guys to give us your feedback. What do you think? We kind of use it as a way to reach out to you guys and get a feel for what other people think outside of just our own bubble. So with that in mind, we go over all the answers, or at least we choose some of the fun answers and ones that we think help create kind of the a different look at different parts of the community. And we allow you all to push back or say what you will. So this week it was because of Mr. Jehudi MD, one of our longtime listeners, longtime friend of the show, and a longtime patron. And he says, with PS Plus, Xbox Game Pass, and many other subscription-style game services throughout the gaming market, do you think they will have a notable impact on players' buying habits, possibly having them purchase far fewer games or be significantly more selective about their purchases? What about the impact on your own purchasing habits? Now, that was the spirit of what he said. Re, you know, kind of refocused out into something that could be aimed at you guys. And so anytime we do that, I like to have the first answer come from the person who 
pose the question. And Jehudi says, in my honest opinion, things will be like the music and movie industry. One thing that may defy that notion is that Steam has been very successful despite the lack of a subscription service, a la PS Plus or games. Um, I think game GS, I think he may mean game pass for many years and still has maintained the same business model. Uh, and I think that's a good point. Um, Chris, we're going to go through right. the rest of these before without too much other interaction, but something I think we should kind of keep in mind here. And then I think his answer is one of the only that really brings to light. Um, I think there's a, there's a big conversation in, that is constantly kind of had and evolving around the idea of, the value of a game as it stands opposed to its entertainment value, right? And the cost uh, that's correlated to that and how it stands as opposed to music or television or film. Um, And I think you tweeted something earlier or you tweeted someone else saying something about this idea that buying a game console is not an investment. Uh, you know, yes. or buying games and, and buying things for your hobbies on an investment. So I think keeping that in mind, we're going to go ahead and read the rest of these. So uh, we got a couple of new people in here. So we always give preferred reading to our patrons who went over to patreon.com and gave as little as a dollar per month. So that's patreon.com slash Nartech uh, to help support the show directly. But we also try and bring in new voices that we don't hear from, or if we see answers that we think are interesting, We'll pull them in uh, as well. But we always do love to give our patrons shout outs for supporting us. So Spooky Cat Dad says, honestly, not really. Dead Space I bought right away because of my love for the franchise. Same with The Last of Us Part 1. If I am on the fence, I wait for a deep discount. And if it ends up on a subscription service by then, good. And if not, I don't have a lot invested. So there goes that word investment kind of coming back around, uh, which I do think is at the heart of purchasing habits right like people look at things and mm-hmm. as the sense of this is an investment so moving along we have tt dog 666 one of our patrons he's come back to being a patron thank you sir he says i prefer to buy a game i really want to play although with xbox now charging 70 dollars for first party games joining the likes of uh, playstation and i guess even nintendo to some degree for starfield and forza i'll play them on game pass until the price drops a little um, so that's interesting. I know that uh, TT Dog is kind of a, he's an agnostic gamer in many ways, but I know he also leans you know towards Xbox for what he likes there, and he plays the exclusive games that he can't get elsewhere on PlayStation over here. So that's a interesting answer because Game Pass I think is a bigger part of Xbox's long term strategy than PlayStation's is with PS Plus at least currently and how they're pushing it. Uh, Josh Farmier says, I don't have an Xbox, but see the articles and comments, and yeah, it makes people not want to buy games, which in turn, as I just saw an article the other day, hurts AAA releases. Sure, it's good for consumers, but bad for the industry in general. We have one from a new patron, S. Davis 77. He says, PS Plus has definitely made me more selective with buying games. Ghostwire Tokyo was a game I wanted to purchase outright but then figured it might make its way to the service. I ended up not feeling the need to buy it. Now I'm happy I didn't have to since it's coming to the service next month. Lastly, and then I think Chris and I are going to kind of take all of this and look at a kind of 
conversation that was happening in our Discord between a few users, uh, Velvet Thunder, who I did choose to leave out of the responses from this because there were similar ones. And we give him preferred reading a lot uh, just because he's very vocal. Thank you, Velvet. We appreciate that you're so active in the community. Uh, But Rude Days uh, says, no doubt a subscription service will change a player's spending habits. I'm living proof of that as I now wait for games to come to a subservice or wait for a sale on games because I have plenty to play. And honestly, a lot of games have been coming out broken at launch lately, whether launched into a sub day one or not. So with all that, Mm. Chris, kind of coming together, thinking about what we talked about with this idea of an investment, right? Uh, And investment's a really interesting word because there's investments from us as a consumer uh, into these products that we're buying, both the consoles and the the games that we choose to play on them, as well as the subscription services that we choose to pay for and employ on those consoles. But then there's also the idea that's kind of hinted at within here from Josh Farmier and a couple of other people that the investment from the corporate side is also at play here. And there's kind of a very interesting limbo that's being played as we navigate these relatively newer waters for game subscription services that aren't just PS Plus style, where after a few months or a year or more out and about in the free market, they choose to take a lump sum of cash to be a free mu- a free game for one month, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen that turn into, well, now your game is going to be on our service for a year, maybe indefinitely, and you're going to get this much money. And if it's at launch, you'll get this much money. And it may impact your sales. It may benefit your sales. It's a gamble and it's a risk. So with all that in mind, I think the big question that has to be made here that's kind of a separate question, but it still ties into the purchasing habits is, does the changing of those personal habits from a big enough group of people have an actual impact on the games that are coming within that market, the developers in which are making that game, and then how might that end up impacting the consumers once more for something that the consumers took took part in, but that was basically hand down delivered from the highest people, right? So we're talking about the middle area. We're not talking about the biggest publishers with tons of money or the console makers that back their developers because they need exclusive content and partnerships. So we're talking about those those AA and independent developers that every release make or break for them. How do you think all of this is impacting them or could in the future? And is it something to be worried about or is it too, too soon to tell? Um, I mean, <clears throat> in terms of people in the middle, I think you see things like it's probably good and bad because you look at something like Outriders, who I believe they said um, they have they still haven't received any royalties off the game. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that's a Square Enix game, so I'm sure that Square Enix is the one who got the Game Pass money. But you have to wonder, like. If they still haven't gotten to a point where they're past break even, they're past their milestones that they needed to get paid, and they're not getting paid still, without that Game Pass money, are we ever hearing Outrider's name again? You know what I mean? So for all we know, Game Pass might have saved Outriders. Because if it's performing that badly, that that Game Pass bump probably made Square Enix like, okay, 
we didn't we didn't make money to for people can fly to make any benefit off this game. However, twenty million people downloaded and played Outriders, right? So if, if Microsoft at least play, pays to make it profit, maybe a little bit of profit for Square Enix, maybe that's a thing where that game is now a franchise for them because of the exposure Game Pass gave them. So of course it's a good thing in that sense, but there's also the sense that Microsoft themselves with the CMA has admitted that Game Pass cannibalizes game sales, which I think was just always obvious. Like that was just an obvious thing that was going to happen. I don't know why people would ever deny that, but them saying it themselves has made it clear that Game Pass is a great service, it's a great value, but people don't buy games on Xbox where that lives because it exists. That's they say it. You know what I mean? So I I can't see how that's a long-term benefit. You know, especially for single-player games like something like Shadow Warriors that's 3 that's launching on Game Pass and launched day and date on PS Now. What benefit is there for that game to have that? You know, because they're not making money off DLC really. So for multiplayer games, I see it, but I think it just kind of it doesn't help single player only experiences. Something like Midnight Suns, unless you love the DLC, unless you love the game so much you want to buy the DLC, which you should, um, there is no added benefit beyond that lump sum payment. So it's a it's a it's a gift and a curse. I would say monkey's paw, if you will. <clears throat> yeah. I could see that, you know, because, like, going back to your thing, right, like, I can see what you mean that maybe Outriders benefited from it. But I think there is that obvious chicken and egg kind of situation where you go, well, the game didn't perform well enough for people to, people can fly to make money, but at least enough wins at Square Enix that they don't view it as a failure. And Square Enix is notorious for expecting games to do way more than I think anybody outside looking in would expect a game like that to do. Like people, it's a really interesting thing because like Twisted Metal, or not Twisted Metal, Tomb Raider, (laughs) uh, sorry, Tomb Raider hits and sells like 8 or 10 million copies, which is pretty great. For you know, for PS3 and mm-hmm. PS4, so this is the first Tomb Raider reboot, uh, and they're like, "Well, that's pretty good, but it didn't meet our expectations." And you have to look and be like, "If eight to ten million, which very few games, if we're being honest, even hit, doesn't meet expectation, what was your expectation?" But back to the matter at hand, the important part here is that you're right. All of that may have led to Outriders doing better than it might have, but you also have to ask. Did it perform so badly to where Square and People Can Fly don't get any extra money because of the fact that the 20 million people who played it, if, you know, and I don't know the numbers, right? I'm just using it as an example. So if we say 20 million people. Yeah. So for the the sake of saying a large group of people played it, we'll we'll put a 20 million on it, right? Let's say that 25% of the people who played it would have actually bought it, then I think you get into that situation where can you reasonably say, well, since that that group of people and anybody else who maybe would have bought it through word of mouth didn't have to buy it because of game sales or because of Game Pass, that negatively impacted them overall. And unfortunately, I think it's something that's too hard for the average people out and about to know. I would have a suspicion that people at Square Enix and people at Xbox and Game Pass and probably people can fly to some small degree have a better idea of that 
than the rest of us do. But I do think that that's kind of the crux of the argument, right? Is that Outriders is a great example. It did do okay enough because of that lump sum payment. But that lump sum payment meant they only made so much regardless of how many people play it. So from a business side, mm-hmm. is that really best? I think that's that's a clear consumer advantage, right? And uh, the reality of... We, we always say, it's been something I've been saying for a while now, but business and art just don't tend to gel very well. And yet all art is very closely tied to business. <laughs> the problem that you end up with is that people can fly on the more individual developer level, probably wants as many people to play it as possible. But those, but people can fly as an entity. The people who own and manage that studio want people to play that game so that that studio can keep making more games. <laughs> you know, so when you look at it as a whole, it kind of gets a little different. And so the whole art and business don't go well together, or they tend not to job well together, is even though 20 million people played it. That could have also been the reason you didn't get what you needed. And that can eventually reasonably be assumed to one day kill somebody uh, studio-wise and bring somebody under who wouldn't have otherwise. I think I lean on the idea that it's a little too early to say definitively. But I think that it's likely going to be a case where as it continues to blow up, the negatives are going to outweigh the positives, even if it's only like a 60-40 split. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just, a, do you want to roll those dice as a developer? But the problem comes if no one buys it at all because buying it becomes an outdated mode of business. If all you're left with, the worry for the future is that all you're left with is subscriptions, then are you strong-arming developers into this like this market model that could make or break them? Yeah, I mean, it's weird because for every developer who says Game Pass saved them, there's probably one who's saying Game Pass screwed us. It's fine. That, that, that's going to happen regardless just because of the nature of, honestly, the nature of quality, right? Like <laughs> That's, I guess, a big thing. Um, I think the biggest problem with Game Pass for me as a someone looking at spending money and if it's good for the industry which is the conversation is more i feel like you get to a point where you're being trained not to buy games you just are like you know if i you know it's something cuz it happens to me i'm sure you've seen my library right so you know where what i'm looking at in terms of games so every every month i see the ps plus games come out and I'm like, it doesn't benefit me, you know? So there's an argument for me as someone who does spend money on games to just stop, right? And I think people on Xbox and PC and Samsung Smart TV, right? They're starting to be trained, <laughs> <laughs> trained to like, it'll come eventually. And I think the biggest problem in terms of that is something I said last week where, you know, you wait for Game Pass, 
you wait for it to be on a subscription. You wait for PS Plus. You wait for Amazon Games. You wait for Epic, right, to give the game away for free. And by the time the game's been given away for free, you've moved on to 18 other games, and you don't have time to play that game. So you're not even spending the time or giving it a download. So there's just it's it's a like I said it's the big thing with subscriptions is it's a monkey's paw. It's great if you're selling DLC and your game's good enough that people want to buy it. It's terrible if you're selling a condensed single player experience that lives and breathes by itself something like evil dead probably dies on the vine with game pass right they get a it's called a one million dollar payout from xbox put the game on game pass then nobody on xbox buys it bam there it goes i will say and this is going to sound a little fanboy of me but whatever i actually could not care less um i think game pass would be a significantly bigger problem if sony was doing it it's just the reality of console sales okay so we know like we we know and this is just to help clarify the conversation right because we know that sony has ps plus which in in many ways is analogous to game pass with one big exception and that's that first party titles and for the most part bigger triple a titles do not hit the service day one what we do have instead that is an interesting analog while also tying to the fact that it's more directly impacting the indies is we have games like chia yeah launching on the service and we have games like stray launching on the service and i think the question comes down to the same thing is it also true that games like stray seems to have done really well and i've yet to hear anything saying that the developer didn't make much money from that but ironically separate from a more PS Plus style thing with what we have now, where it's more of a ongoing catalog, the only complaints we really heard have been specifically from um, Abe's Exodus or whatever the, you know, the the new Abe uh, game from Just Add Water. Um, Soulstorm. Soulstorm, where just being a monthly PS Plus game apparently as far as they can see, the numbers of people who played versus the percentage of people who would have likely bought it anyway, they ended up getting worse a worse deal that they did agree to, but they got a worse deal in their mind than what they would have had they just released the game. But you don't know that until the end. And that kind of goes against something I was thinking, right? As you were talking, I was almost wondering, is there a value for taking a somewhat lump sum payment to hit game pass but saying in your thing like we'll hit game pass day one and we'll be there for one month mm-hmm. and we want that one month just to be that enough people can come in and play to start word of mouth about the game and then if the word of mouth is good after that month that word of mouth can continue to help sell copies in perpetuity so that you get a bit of column a and a bit of column b you get that lump sum that helps you maybe you know, stay afloat, but then you get the chance at making a longer tail. And that's kind of the the upside to Game Pass and PS Plus over games with gold in the original PS Plus ideology of, well, you get it and then you have it forever. The upside that PS Plus has and now with its new setup and, P- and Game Pass as well is that you can be on the service and then remove yourself and players no longer have access to your game. So if you're the right type of game or if you can be the right quality level that you can create the right word of mouth exiting that service can suddenly influx you a lot of sales. It would, I would imagine. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
It, it, it definitely impacts sales. I don't know for me. I don't know. I think I've said everything I need to say. I think one thing yeah. you see with something like Stray, right, is Stray is intriguing. It's quality and people want to play it, right? The best thing Stray did was be about a cat. Yeah, it was unique. Right. It's because you look at you look at Steam and you look at the Steam charts and it has 60,000 concurrent players and you go, "Yeah, okay. They took they took the money and they're also selling the game. That's the perfect setup." That's a good that's I think a benefit of going with Sony's subscription service is Sony is not like, "Oh, you got it on it's on PS Plus. It's also free on PC." You know what I mean? So, I think that Oh, helps. you're right. Game Pass, by means of trying to completely have a level playing field across console mm-hmm. and PC, does mean that sometimes a game doesn't even get to see a bump on console and then hopefully see sales on PC. Instead, even on PC, they have the reason to want to go to the Microsoft Store, except for the fact that the Microsoft Store on PC is trash. Terrible. And I mean that. It, it was so complicated to download the Master Chief Collection. It took forever and multiple weird things and it's still an issue and it's never been fixed since the game came out and here we are and Mm. it basically came to the point where people were saying i know i have game pass but i just went and bought the game from steam do you know how big of a slap in the face that is to how bad your story is if someone was like i could spend 60 dollars on steam and be easy and breezy and beautiful cover girl (laughs) yeah or i can go and try and fight for four days to download each game in this God, you know, the store is bad. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. It's, it's great on the Xbox system. It's bad on computer. Yeah. But yeah. All right, um, man. I think that's enough of that conversation. But it's something that I will be interested to kind of see. I feel like it'll be a touchstone where every year there's going to be kind of a new little conversation around what these subscription services are doing. And I feel like Game Pass will tend to be the, the loudest in that conversation because of the fact that it does a lot more day-and-date games. Uh, but we'll see. As Sony seems to be doing more, we had Stray. Now we have Chia. But it seems like Sony's only doing that like every three months, four months. Uh, actually, this is the second time they've done it since Stray, and Stray was June of last year. I believe so, yeah. So this, we're talking an eight-month gap, six-month gap at the least. That might be part of it. Sony's not flooding the water with day and date releases, whereas Microsoft seems like every month they want to have some kind of day and date big release. So we'll see which one is uh, ends up being problematic or if any of it does. I'm very curious to see if seven years in the future, ten years in the future, if I can look back and, and be like, oh, past Brett was stupid and game games really are going to all subscription services. <laughs> but that right now, I feel like that will never quite be the case because I think enthusiasts will always still want physical games, which will always keep some level of control and helping, you know, because there'll, there'll be some level of, you can't go too crazy with the subscription services as opposed to the physical, you'll get backlash. But I could be wrong. You could be, but... I've, I've been it, wrong many times. It's a story that has not been told yet. Ooh, Chris... You got your marketing hat on over here. <laughs> Game Pass. Your story's not been told yet. I like it. You can go sell that shit to, you know what? PS Plus. Your story's not been told yet. <laughs> We're going to reach out to our Sony um, contacts that we don't have. Yeah. See if PR, we can get some money off of that. PR hit me up. Yeah. No, Chris, remember? 
Play forever, folks. <laughs> That's how we end the show, Brett. I'm sorry. That is how we end the show. I'm going to have to start, have to start doing that. All right, man. We're going to move into the news. The first couple of pieces are all pretty, you know, innocuous, pretty slow. Not a huge news week. I think that makes sense considering that PSVR 2 dropped, made a big splash, let that have its time, do everything else separately. So first thing we have, EA has sent out surveys to players asking for feedback on the Dead Space remake, remake rather from Motive, and in it they gauge interest in continuing Dead Space remakes or more by asking participates, participants how likely they'd be to play a remake of Dead Space 2 and 3, as well as how likely they'd be to play a new entry altogether. This is really promising. Part of me wants to see them do 2 and 3, even though I don't want the whole industry to just become remakes. But I don't feel like going directly from a Dead Space remake 1 into a new Dead Space is a good idea either. I agree. So we'll see. Chris, I'd be very interested to see whenever you go back to Dead Space how you feel about it. Uh, but, I, you know, part of me doesn't really blame you for not getting into it. I think a lot of people that bought Callisto kind of were just like, I'll wait on Dead Space. Like, I already know it's good. Or even people who had heard it was good were like, Callisto was made by this these people? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I, I know that it sounds like we're really ganging up on Callisto but all we're really saying is Callisto, I don't think, met expectations in mass. The problems in Callisto are ganging up on us. That's all we're saying. <laughs> and all I can do is endlessly dodge them. <laughs> Look, right, uh, left, right, left. I'm telling you. All right. Square Enix has announced that Luminous Studios, the developers behind Forspoken and Final Fantasy 15, is being folded back into Square Enix. The move is being made to bolster Square's development uh, teams as a whole and becomes effective in May. The team says that the DLC for for Forspoken is their focus, announcing a DLC entitled Entanto We Trust, planned for this summer and that up until may their entire focus is indeed on forespoken it'll be interesting to see how forespoken and all of this works out after this or if it's pretty much this is it and this is the last hurrah um but we'll see and i mean i mainly mean well, we'll see more updates and stuff out of it um because part of you wants to look at this and say like the move for this has to be to kill off the Luminous name, right? Because Square already owned Luminous Studio. It's already part of their development team. If they wanted to throw a project at them or have them be a support studio with still the name and title and everything of Luminous, they could. Yeah. But they're choosing to fold it back in, which seems like a specific and directed effort to try and get rid of the Luminous Project's now production's name because it hasn't landed the way they were hoping it's got some stank on it um yeah well you know you can remember luminous productions a lot more than you can business division four <laughs> honestly i like the name to business division four way more than luminous productions but yeah this this was a very confusing piece of news to write because it was like Square Enix has folded in Luminous Productions, their wholly owned first-party studio, into Square Enix. And I was like, <laughs> okay. They're making Final Fantasy 17 now, I guess. I don't know. But 
Oh, too bad for the six people out there who like Forspoken. I feel bad that you probably won't get more of it. It doesn't feel like feels like this announcement is telling you that that that's franchise is dead. But crazier things have happened. Sony has said no to a perfectly wonderful franchise. So you know, we never know what studios are going to do. And what perfectly wonderful franchise? Um, one of the best games on the PS4 in Days Gone, which Sony. Oh, Where's my PS5 version? 60 FPS, 4K zombies, please. The it got a patch. It, I I want. I just want a new platinum, Brett. Come on, <laughs> be an adult I here. Need, I need Days Gone director's cut. You know why you can't do that? They fired both of the directors. Who gives a shit? Okay, hold on. They fired one director and the other basically left shortly after. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's fair. Then call it. Days Gone Ben's cut. I don't care. Ben's <laughs> just, cut. Yeah, just give me another Z. one. Yeah. <laughs> it's Deke riding around in a Benz. <laughs> that would be good. A it's, Mercedes Benz motorcycle. Not even a motorcycle. It's just a straight up Benz. It's it's crazy because if they did do a director's cut for that game, I wouldn't like transfer my save and auto pop. I would do that whole thing again. So, oh, absolutely. I Let's go. Yeah, loser. But Chris, you don't get to exist in that world. No, but I get to exist in another PS5 world, and I'm very happy about it. What's next, Brett? Well, What's you get to exist in a world where at around 3 a.m. in the U.S., a tarnished from software employee rose from their slumber to announce that Elden Ring is getting its first piece of full DLC entitled Shadow of the Erd Tree. Mm. No other details are currently known or a release window None of that has been announced, but at least you know now, if you're a big Elden Ring fan, that there is more to come. Yeah. That's all you it was such a Rise weird Tarnas. announcement. <laughs> such a weird announcement. Hey, we're making DLC. See ya. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean... I, I thought so anyway, but... I think From Software kind of gets the benefit of the doubt to be able to do stuff like that. I feel mm-hmm. like Kojima could do this. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there are a few types, and it seems to be overwhelmingly Japanese focus studios. But it seems like there's something around that where a lot of them have earned the ability to just come out and say, "I'm making a thing. We're not going to talk about it again for a while." Well, it's <laughs> funny. You know who gets away with that more than anyone else? Todd Howard. <laughs> That's actually a fantastic point. <laughs> And people ask and ask, like, do you want to talk about like that Lex Fridman thing where he yeah. was like, if we were in one of the universes where you could talk about the Elder Scrolls Six, what would you tell me? Such a good, <laughs> such a good question from Lex there. Yeah, it's truly great. Yeah, I just I love that going. You know, I'd have been like, if I used an Elder Scroll to go right. into another dimension, <laughs> to go forward in time, <laughs> to <laughs> to when the game was announced. What would the game be like? Right. Yeah, it, it was is perfect. I don't know. Um, he he's just one of those guys who will like smoke a joint with you and be like, "Ooh, oh, this is some good flower." By the way, Fallout Five, which is the next game we have in development, does not have any weed in it. <laughs> That's Todd Howard, like all the time. That's Todd Howard. Yeah, just constantly, just all the time in his. In his lawyer-looking bookcase office that he Zoom calls in from most of the time? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) 
All right, so Chris, I know that you kind of fell off of Elden Ring, as did I. Does this move the needle for you in any way? Is this something you're excited about? No, I don't care. I love Elden Ring, but I didn't finish it, so I'm not going to play DLC. If I do end up going back one day, I could see it, but... I don't know what the hell Erd Tree is. I'm assuming it's the tree in the game. Yeah, let's call in Blake. He'll tell us. Yeah, Blake will tell us. Um, but the first time I read this, I thought it said Shadow of the Ed Tree, and I just thought about Rolf from Ed, Ed, and Eddie being like, Ed the boys! And it's just, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's like a tower. It's like you're climbing the tree, and as you go through the tree, you're fighting a bunch of Ed, Ed, and Eddie villains. Like, I floor want that. one is double D. <laughs> I would buy it like on a magician. PC just to mod it for that. Yeah, you get up and you got to fight the, uh, the the canker, you know, the canker sisters. <laughs> Melania is just Ed. <laughs> <laughs> you move up and eventually the final boss is actually uh, Plankton. Or not Hello, Plankton, Thomas. but uh, the, 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 the Plank. I can't think of his name right now. Um, what is, is his name? Plank? I think it is. Yeah, it's Plank. The final <laughs> boss is just a jawbreaker. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's Johnny and Plank, and that the the dude's name, yeah, Johnny. Yeah, um, yeah, it's funny. That could be good. Rolf has to be there somewhere. Would Rolf be the bad? Like, would he be the final one? Mm. That would be no. The final boss is a jawbreaker. <laughs> it's the jawbreaker is a, is the moon, mm-hmm. and it's it's like in Bloodborne. Whenever the moon presence comes down, it's like the jawbreaker descends and you have to fight it. The jawbreaker presence. Chris, me and you, it sounds like we need to start figuring out how to mod games. (laughs) And we've got a winner on our hands. Yeah, We can just split the the voice work up between some volunteers. We'll have some people. Uh, I'll, I'll buy you a pizza and send it to your house. And then you can just throw me a couple of... I love butter, Eddie. And we can just go through all that stuff. It'd be great. Hello, Ed. Uh, cool. I, I don't know anyone in my life, but I feel like there's got to be a handful of people that are just really good at like the very meek double D voice. Like, yeah. oh, God. Like maybe Josh, <laughs> you know, from midweek. Yeah, uh, he could be. I feel like he might fit that. I think he could pull that off. We'll have to see. Um, all right. So moving into the next piece of news. <clears throat> The Outer Worlds Spaces Choice is announced for next-gen consoles. The port features all the DLC, Murder on Eridanos, and Pale of Gorgon, bug fixes, multiple graphics options, a dynamic weather system, faster loading times, etc. It releases on March 7th and will retail for $59.99 or $9.99 if you already own the previous release of the RPG Bethesda wishes Starfield could be. Was that kind of what you had in mind? No, I was expecting you to yell because I wrote it in all caps. I mean, you know, I just think of all. I like that better. That was, uh, (laughs) I mean, that was fine, perfectly fine. But I'm very excited for this. Throw me a breakdown on it, just and just yeah, you know, just throw down, go ham on it. I'm in for that. We get a we get a guest spot from Tatiana. Uh, She comes in here and just yeah, she sings, (laughs) sings to my heart. Yeah, she layers her beautiful, clean vocals over the... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why not, you know? She could layer all over me. So, Chris, you know that you love, you love, 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 after years and years of hate, you love, love, love. (laughs) I do love, love, love. Outer Worlds. I do love Um, the Outer Worlds. 
I mean, is this exciting for you? Yes. Extremely I'll probably exciting. go back to it. The upside is, is you'll just, I bought it physically. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you bought it digitally. Bucks. So yeah, you know, maybe I can I mean, scoot $10 your way and that's how we kind of just, we both benefit. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. I'll throw can you a fiver. You know what I mean? If I can pre-order it. I just, I got, I saw this announced and I was like, oh, this is the best thing possible. And then I got Baldur's Gate 3 release date the same day. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to come. <laughs> <laughs> Do not come. Do not. <laughs> I'm going to come. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to come. Oh, I'm coming. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So with that being said, we have a question that I kind of felt like fit the uh, the essence of which your fervor for writing this piece of news came from. Uh, Blake Blake, or otherwise known as the Ghost of Blake Pope, says, if you had to pick one game to play for the rest of your life, RIP Blake, we know that you can no longer do that, uh, <laughs> what would it be? No franchises, single game only. We can pretend multiplayer servers will never shut down if you choose a multiplayer game. Uh, This is a hard question because I feel like I could go three ways with it. Okay. Go ahead, Claudio Sanchez. Part three ways. I guess Claudio Kilgannon because I guess he says in the story. It does... This is a question for Blake, right? But does time stay static? Because that's that's a big question. Because if I choose Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, and I'm on this deserted island all by myself with Call of Duty, does the rest of the world move on to Modern Warfare 3 the next year? If so, <laughs> then you don't choose that game. Well, because like it doesn't matter if the servers stay up in perpetuity if you're the only person playing right. it still. And to be fair, I can find a game on World at War right now. I know that because I've played online World at War recently. But yeah, I wouldn't want to choose that if if it doesn't stay active. Uh, my other two answers would be uh, Divinity 2 or Fallout 3. Okay. So, I feel like it's kind of an easy answer, but because of the fact that it'd be what or an easy, uh, not an easy answer rather, but it's an easy expectation to hear from. But since it's the, th- the only thing you'd be playing for the rest of your life, why would you be going toward that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what yeah. is it about those games that you think could last you the rest of your life without? With minimal fuss. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. undoubtedly you'll get bored and then you'll come back to it after a while. But, you know. I mean, like, Divinity 2, it's unlimited replayability. It's You have an experience, but you can play that game so many different ways. Um, Fallout 3, I just love Fallout 3. I could, I could play that for the rest of my life. I don't know that I'd want to, but I could. And really, the rationale behind Call of Duty is just... At the very least, the multi it, it's always a little bit different. Even if I'm playing multiplayer for the rest of my life, there's that little bit of variety in just what happens in that game. So that there's at least that. I feel like my answer is a cheat code, but it's yeah. totally fair, and I think it's it's a, really easy to work. And I'll give a backup answer that's a little less of a cheat code. <laughs> um, but 
I think that the game I would go for, since his wording in here is very particular, and it says that multiplayer servers are basically servers never shut down. So if servers are in play, they do not shut down. Single game, no franchise. Dreams. Yeah. I mean, I get that, but it deals with the exact problem of of getting bored of something eventually. Because in dreams, you can go download a little first person shooter thing, and if people keep making things in perpetuity for it, right? If the servers stay up and people continue to make games, there's a never ending supply of games, and it's essentially like a little smorgasbord snack size version of a bunch of other games. So it gives you something to break the monotony that would come with playing only a single game like part of me wanted to go towards something like i don't even like grand theft auto 5 we've talked about this plenty of times but at least a game like grand theft auto 5 is like well you can play tennis and you can ride a bike it's not a bad pick you know what i mean it's like you can at least do other things in it the problem with something like divinity is even though you can play that game in so many ways at the end of the day it's the same story ultimately it's the same basic scenario that you're trying to play through and it's the same general gameplay constraints even if there's different classes and whatnot within that system whereas something like dreams you're getting around that something like grand theft auto you can spend an entire time perfecting how good you are at specifically car racing you can just play that game as a car racer you can play that game whereas all you were doing is playing tennis and trying to get better at it you can play that game as if you were a mobster and you were just trying to go do that you could you could fake your way through enough things that you could create enough variety for yourself. Uh, but my game that I have personal experience with that I adore and would love to play, and it's got a bop and soundtrack, Terraria. I think That's I could play pick. Terraria forever. Solid I love pick. Game. I, again, I'm very good at being pedantic, right? So here's my question for Blake. Is it a one purchase, right? Because what I, I this is again very pedantic, but does the Kingdom Hearts All for One collection count as one boxed game? <laughs> well, he says he says no franchises, single game only. Okay. No franchises. I so think that that would probably tell well you. Enough. Of course, right though. Of course, the cheat for that is that like Kingdom Hearts HD Collection One Point Five is one is disc four and games, one game yeah. that you boot up, and as you boot it up. You have options to watch the 358 over two days, you know, um, all that different stuff. So, yeah, you can, there's cheat codes. There's Dreams cheat codes. is clearly that as well. But I think Dreams at least is more in the spirit. No matter what, you are downloading a Dreams creation. So you are still sticking to a single game. It's just the Dreams creations can allow you to watch a movie that yeah. someone wanted to make. It can allow you to play an RPG. It can allow you to do a shooter or platformer whatever you want the problem with that is that no dream i think you i think dreams is disqualified actually why why so because every time you download something you're downloading a new game it's a game in dreams but it's a new game you're not downloading though you're streaming it in you know what i mean right but you're still playing a different game you're not playing dreams you're playing a game someone created in dreams yeah, but that's still... It's, it's not a single there. game. The single game is Dreams. So all you can yes. do is develop games. But you can't download well, other games from of, Dreams. But it's like you talked about with Kingdom Hearts, right? If it's one disc and you're doing everything within this one executable application that you've done, 
Yeah. Which all the all-in-one package is a little different because it actually does give you multiple icons on your PlayStation. But it's still in the same spirit of if I put in Kingdom Hearts 1.5 HD collection, which does have a single square that you click and then and once you're in that square, you choose which game you're wanting to do. Yeah. That is one game. And everything you're doing is within the confines of that one thing that you start. If that if if Kingdom Hearts 1.5 counts, then Dreams does. If it doesn't count, then Dreams does not count. So Blake, That's you fair. make the final ruling. So we'll read it on, in two week in two weeks, we'll read it. Because I will not be on next week's episode, in case you missed Fair that at point. the beginning of the show. <laughs> All right. During Sony's latest state of play, Premier RPG Studio, man, Chris is over here really patting Larian on the back. Larian announced that Baldur's dick. Gate 3 will be leaving PC early access and releasing there and on PS5 on August 31st. The game is not ruled out on Xbox consoles, but they run into some severe technical issues getting it to run on Microsoft's pair of consoles, which brings us to the controversy. So, of course, as fanboys will do and and as Twitter has been what it is, there's been large chunks of people kind of talking about Series S and what it means. But I think there's an easy way to actually look and have a conversation around Series S, the limitations that it does bring into house, and then the further limitations that are brought on by Microsoft, forcing you to have feature parity um, to, to be able to release. So all that says is that you can't have a feature on Series X that is integral to the game that doesn't exist on the other one. Like ray tracing is not a feature in that sense in their mind, but you've got to otherwise have the complete game and you have to release on both systems simultaneously. There's been a lot of talks around different developers being able to optimize in certain ways and what they mean, but I think this is just yet another example of where the issue at hand, as Larry and have come out to say, is that the technical issue they're running into is getting split screen, which is one of the big things they're pushing for the game, getting split screen to work on the Series S. And because of the parity clause for Microsoft to where you have to release on both, they can't release the game without split screen on Series S because Series X would have it. So that would tell me that unless Xbox has a clause to where they have to have parity with PlayStation versions, then the only way around this is to remove split screen from all Xbox versions of the game. And I don't know if that's it, right? You don't want them going, well, this is something we want. Let's kill this feature. Um, So I guess the question here is, you know, like, at what point can Series S actually act as a real stopping point for getting developers to want to even work toward developing a game for Xbox? And I look at this as someone who's actually thinking about things that Xbox have recently said coming out in all the CMA investigations that are going on um, and these responses they're giving. And if you're telling me that when compared directly to PlayStation and PlayStation only, that you are roughly 20% of the console market share. And and on a worldwide scale, PlayStation is more or less 80. All right? If that is what you're telling me, right. and you're telling me that with that extreme disadvantage on the whole market scale, that it is a good idea to force developers 
who are choosing to develop for your significantly smaller share of the market to also figure out how to make a game work on the Series S that they may be having too much of a trouble to do to make it financially viable. I think the issue comes that that can keep Xbox from getting games in general. There's a very big difference between this idea that people had up until Larian said something, that this was Sony money-hatting and going to Larian and paying for them to only release on PlayStation when the reality of the situation is, is that Larian have said multiple times, the only reason they can't announce the Xbox one in an official manner is because they cannot announce it until they can know for a fact that they will be able to get the game running on series S. So Chris, Hmm. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that. Is there a point where the position Microsoft finds themselves in being the market, you know, you know, underdog. Yeah. And having people still choose to develop for a significantly smaller portion of the market, do you think there's a real eventual reason for Microsoft to go, while we had great intentions with the Series S, it will mean that sometimes games have to skip Xbox as a whole if we keep our parity clause. So even though you bought into it thinking it would work for everything, there will be the occasional game that has to skip this. Do you think the parity clause should be more of a strong suggestion rather than a requirement and why i think it's hard because i feel like getting rid of the parody clause would be admitting they've been i don't know if lying is the right word but let's go with misleading people on the power of the s um so i don't know if they'd want to do that on a public relations standpoint but i think this just goes to show that the S is holding games back like multiple devs have suggested before. And it makes me wonder. Not across the board. You know, just no, to, just to not throw that out there. The there board, are developers who work with it well, and maybe their scope of game works well with the limitations of the S, but not every game. Yeah. So go ahead. Um, no, I, I just, I think I wouldn't be that surprised if there's a lot of games we see announced as the generation goes on, assuming Xbox doesn't get rid of this clause, that... Sony doesn't even have to pay a dime for exclusivity on because it just can't run on S, so they're not putting it on Xbox, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's forced exclusivity in a way, right? Mm-hmm. That is Microsoft essentially forcing Larry into, to say, since we can't release on Xbox without being both, we are, and Nintendo Switch is clearly not powerful enough to do it either. Right. Our only console option is PlayStation, And, you know, looking at it, I really think it's interesting to see how, and this goes back to what we were talking about, you know, back when Saul was still with the show and um, they announced the Series X and S and then they announced the the, uh, PlayStation 5 and they had the physical and digital and how both systems went with a bifurcated approach, right? PlayStation did as well as Xbox. The difference is, is that PlayStation decided to make a... mm, People have argued it's not budget, but it is. Your your budget option is one that still gets you in the door and it's cheaper than the actual full product. And that's what the PS5 Digital is. So the real question is, it would seem that Sony was smarter to say it's going to be very complicated to try and get developers to develop for two different spec sets. And it's going to create more issues. So instead of making a bifurcated one where the digital system is weaker 
all we do is take a little bit of a hit, cut the disk drive, make it a little bit smaller form factor. We use less plastic. It's $100 cheaper, gets people in the door, gives people the option to forego physical entirely. And consumers get some form of being happy while developers stay happy. And then Microsoft thought, well, we can widen that gap and we can make an even cheaper entry point. But it comes to the fact that it is not the same spec set. Therefore, developers have to work around it, but support both. I understand both mindsets. The issue is that I feel like sooner or later, the moment that Nintendo eventually got to, unfortunately, with the new Nintendo 3DS, is that a game like Xenoblade Chronicles 3D is not going to run on the base 3DS, but it will run on the improved hardware of the new Nintendo 3DS. And mm-hmm. I think at some point, Microsoft is going to have to cut the cord and say, our intentions are still there, and we still want as many games as we can possibly get. And we'll work with developers and support and do everything we can. But if Series S is genuinely keeping a game from hitting our fans' uh, ability to play on their system of choice, we will kill the, the parity clause and go from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have a ton more. I think it just seems pretty clear that the S is going to end up being a, this is coming day and date to both, but the Xbox series S version is streaming. Like that seems like the clear way this is going to have to go. That's an interesting solution. Like as we push X cloud, the benefit is that you can also play full fledged games on your series S. Yeah. Because you have to, like, look at what Yoshi P said about Final Fantasy today, which I don't think we have in the news, but there was Final Fantasy previews came out today. And he was saying that you would need a $2,000 PC to match the PS5 in order to play it's Final true. Fantasy day and date. Right. So <laughs> if that's what Final Fantasy is pushing year, what is it, year three of the generation? What are mm-hmm. what is what are we pushing on year six? Right? Yeah. And does that mean that like look at it right now? If this if this clause stays here forever, does Witcher 4 end up being an exclusive strictly off the fact that it can't run on S? So they can't release it on Xbox? Right? Like that's a serious question. Yeah, it's a good question. Because while we don't know, right, we can say that we we know that. Uh, Final Fantasy 16 is being built in, in Unreal. Um, what we don't know is whether Final Fantasy 16 could run on Series S, but I think you can listen to the remarks of Yoshi P and fairly reasonably surmise that if Final Fantasy 16 had not been a PlayStation exclusive because of money hatting, which we can at least be honest in that situation, that is what's happening, um, then the Series S is very unlikely to run it if they're saying PC specs are going to be quite demanding. And if you look at other games that are coming out, that's also true. Returnal's PC specs were quite demanding. And people are like, huh, that's interesting. Forspoken's PC specs, quite demanding. And it doesn't mean that it, it takes a crazy thing to play it, but to play it at a comparable level, you have to have pretty high stuff. And people look and go, well, how can a $500 console 
be the equivalent of a $1,700, $1,500, $2,000 PC. And that goes to show exactly what I was talking about a second ago. It's that idea of a locked set of specifications that you can hyper-optimize mm-hmm. around. And Xbox does not have that. They have two sets of, exp- of, of things. And since both sets have to be accounted for in the singular product, you can't hyper-optimize to that. And so, yes, PC games allow you to scale. But what people fail to mention and think about when you think about scalability being built into certain games is that, I've said this before, PC games still have minimum and, re- and recommended specs. And if your system does not meet the minimum specs, you cannot expect the game to run. It doesn't mean it won't run at all. The other interesting side of PC is you can buy games that your PC can literally not play, and your PC will try. but you're probably not going to enjoy it. And so with all that in mind, you have to look and say, well, yeah, $500 console, but when the recommended specs on the PC side for Forspoken to try and meet a similar and slightly better in many places, um, play experience, what you get on PlayStation 5 is somewhere in the ballpark of $1,500. It gets even harder to expect a, $300 $300 machine to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't have a whole lot more to say on that either. I just think it's going to have to leave eventually and people are going to have to stop spurting out this idea that since PC games are scalable, every game has to be scalable. So yeah, I think it's not you know unreasonable to look at the limited specs of the Series S and say it's unlikely that the game, even on its lowest PC setting, could run on that. Regardless of, you know, because like that's the other answer is just have your games look like dog shit on the console, but at least get them running. You know, like <laughs> our game's going to run at 540p, but 30 frames per second. Let's go, baby. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, hmm. We'll see. I just imagine it like that scene in The Godfather, you know, the guys at Larry and I'm like, oh, so you come to me on the announcement of the release date of my video game. To ask me to make it run on your piece of shit console. That's how I imagine it all going. Stroking a PS5 and a Mind Flayer <laughs> statue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. So we move on to the final piece of news. And with it, a lot of questions from listeners that I think kind of fit into that uh, that view. So we are using a recap from Games Radar, just to throw that out there, of the state of play, which I finally caught up on today and watched everything. I piecemealed some of it, but I decided to watch it as a whole event. So we can kind of talk a little bit more about it. Because one thing I can say, I can say, before we even start talking about what was in the state of play, the online social media community around uh, gaming has kind of been talking about their disappointment in the state of play. And I think it's very important to make sure that we specify it is specifically online discourse. Um, I think most of us can fairly say that in our normal day-to-day lives, we're not having people come up to us and be like, God, did you catch that state of play? It was shit. <laughs> or did you catch that state of play? It was all right, but you know, it's been too long since we've had a real showcase and this wasn't enough. You know, that's not really happening. So that's happening in this online bubble with people who are very enthusiastic towards games. And this means a lot more than it does to a lot of the average consumers that play games. So with that in mind, let's kind of quick uh, do a quick little recap. The beginning of it, 
you know, something that Chris can't say a whole lot on other than whether or not it moves the needle to make him want a PSVR 2 or view that entry price that he views as too high to be a little more reasonable. We have The Foglands, which is a brand new game coming in 2023, and it looks from everything in the trailer like it is aiming to be a roguelite. That's what I got from that, this idea of this guy shuffling cards and saying, let's try it again, and then going through. Uh, Visually, looks quite interesting. Gunplay heavy, as you would expect. Green Hell VR, which is an existing title, coming also in 2023. Um, Looks a lot more weird. For a second, I thought it was the forest in VR, and then I was like, oh, never mind, it's not. Uh, We have Synapse, which is a new title from In Dreams coming 2023, and I swear that game looked like it was trying to ape Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding-style presentation at the beginning. Very weird, but not bad. Another shooting-style game. Uh, Before Your Eyes, which is a cool thing. It was already announced, but we got to see a little bit more of it. For anyone that doesn't know, I'm pretty bullish on this game because I think it's an interesting concept. It was a PC title where you would hook up your webcam and it would scan your face to tell when you were blinking. And every time you blink in the game, time moves forward. And so you start to kind of want to hold your eyes open to linger in a moment longer and see what's happening because the moment you shut them, you move forward a certain amount of time. And uh, it's kind of framed in this thing of an afterlife situation. So I think it's supposed to be synonymous with this idea of your life flashing before your eyes before you pass. And uh, I think it looks really unique. It's cheap enough. It's like $14.99. I think it's on sale right now if you pre-order for $13.49. Not a huge discount, but a little PS Plus discount. Um, I think this is a cool use of the tech that's there because the reason it never came to console before is because the main mechanic just couldn't work realistically. But now that the VR has got eye tracking, it can tell if your eye blinks. Super cool use. I pre-ordered it. Very excited for it. Lastly, Journey to Foundation, which is a new title based around some author's books, if I'm not mistaken, uh, coming fall 2023. And with that, I want to break and look at a question that I think is very specifically aimed at this. But before we do that, Chris, did you even yeah, bother, because of what this is, with you not having a VR2 or being supremely interested, did you even really bother paying attention to those, or did you kind of just skip past it? I skipped past it. <laughs> um, I mean, I saw some things, like the mechanics for Before Your Eyes look really cool. Um, Foglands seemed neat. I agree with you. It seemed, does seem a little bit like a roguelike. But yeah, this I, I'm, just, I'm not going to end up playing these. And if I do, it'll be five years later, I think. So we'll see, but... No well, the upside right for you is that if you ever do cross that barrier of entry, um, you will at least have a fairly hefty selection of VR titles to play day one. Well, that does help sell it. Yeah. This is the closest I can get to trying to pay you back for all the games that you buy on the non-VR <laughs> side of things. I'll be the guy who like, because I had enough reward points after paying off the headset with my reward points that I had like $90 in rewards points. So I just spent 70 i got a 50 dollar psn card and a 20 dollar psn card and just like buy that and buy that <laughs> buy this <laughs> went about my time you know i like that i respect it 
Yeah, there's a couple of games I still need to play, like Pavlov and stuff, that goes into the heart of this question, which is from Aztec King, one of our patrons. He says, will Sony make a shooting peripheral for VR2 or at least allow for compatibility with a third-party product? What would you guys like to see any kind of design you would want? Um, So, Chris, I don't know if you really have much from your previous examples of playing VR titles to really have any feedback into this. But I'll tell you, part of the reason I think this is a fitting question for looking at state of play is almost every one of those games was first-person gun-oriented, um, mm-hmm. which is a very common and very popular um, <clears throat> type of genreification for VR. It, it makes sense to pull into. Now, some of these games are a little more pistol-focused, so I think that's easier to pull off with the sense controllers. But when we start getting into games like Pavlov, which is there at launch, and games like Firewall Ultra, which are coming, um, and you know, we we are kind of talking with those people and have gotten sent little updates on it, or I have been, because I, I love Firewall um, Zero Hours, one of my favorite games on PSVR, and some of the most I played and I was a huge fan of the aim controller. So I have been left and right asking, you know, will Sony eventually come up with something that is an equivalent to the aim controller? And that's because once you move away from a handgun into a rifle, having a natural rigid body that you can put into your shoulder and acts as a pivot point, like you do with a real firearm is really important. Uh, you know, a lot of these games showed the crossover wrist support where you can do that. And that does work. When I played Resident Evil 7 VR uh, and was primarily using the handgun, that felt great. But the moment you go into like the shotgun or something like that, and I, I intend to play Resident Evil 8 to see how this all comes together in Pavlov as well. But I have a feeling there's going to be a strong disconnect. Um, so the you either look and say, well, Sony with PS Move put out the... Uh, the, the move controller, it was the sharpshooter is what it was called. And you put your move wand in the end of it and your little analog stick nub thing in and you kind of use it that way. And that's how I played Kills on 3 and it was okay, you know, move. And then the same thing with the aim controller from the move where or for the PSVR where you had bad tracking because it's based off of the same PS move technology, uh, which had plenty of issues with tracking. And I think if Sony was crazy enough to do it those two times before, I feel like it'd be a huge miss on their part to not do it a third time. But if we're looking at nothing else, there is a third-party uh, thing that I know you saw that Richard Schaefer posted in of a rigid body that you can connect your sense controllers to. And I think that's interesting because when we start moving into games where you want to be able to realistically represent throwing a grenade, where you may want to take your one hand off of the gun reach down into your side, pull a grenade and throw it. That is something that cannot be done with an actual gun controller because you cannot move a hand. So what he posted is pretty interesting. It's like a gun body with little attachments to where your controllers go in. And it seems like what they're calling for is magnetic attachments so that you can quickly get it back up there and it'll connect to the attachment. And then whenever you want to remove it, you can kind of, flick the controller down out of the magnet spot, move your hand down with the sense controller still in it, throw a grenade and return to form. That is probably the best answer to try and bridge the gap of letting you still be realistic when you don't want to have hands on the gun and you don't want to do things like grenades or healing or reaching down to pick up ammo. Uh, Whereas a full gun peripheral feels the best for when you actually are shooting. 
So I'm curious to see. Aztec, I'd like to see what you would like to. Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm sure you don't, but on the off chance you do, I want to give you a chance to speak. Uh, my only thought is that a gun peripheral would seem uh, like a necessity. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that you like the idea of it being something where it's just a gun that you can't freely move? Because I liken the gun to like the steering wheel for Gran Turismo, right? When I'm playing Gran Turismo 7, having the steering wheel is what makes it so immersive. Anybody who's playing Gran Turismo 7 in VR and they're just playing with a controller and they're like, wow, this is crazy. You don't even know. When your <laughs> hands are on an actual wheel and your your feet are touching pedals, um, my buddy came over. And he played and he was explaining how he got all the all the feelings you would get from a real car in that game because of how well the headset sells that and how well having your hands on a wheel and your feet on pedals and being in a racing chair feels like. Because you know like when you're in a car and you're going kind of fast and you go on a hill that quickly drops and you can kind of feel your stomach go whoop. Yeah. He had I've had that feeling playing Grinch with most seven and he had it a few times. Like if you hit a if you hit a hill going too fast and you're not controlling, or if you hit a certain corner that has kind of an embankment that does that, you'll feel your stomach lift. And it's an <laughs> a, it's an incredible feeling that I can't even imagine you getting in a controller. So the same thing has you want that same level of immersion with a gun game. But in a gun game, you would still want to be able to use your hands for other things. So a gun controller removes a layer of immersion when you're not shooting, but it adds so much immersion when you are shooting. So do you think you'd rather have that or kind of an answer where it's like a hook your controllers in, quickly hook it out? Like if you were playing VR, which one would you feel like would feel more natural for you? I mean, probably the gun, like a full thing. I just, I guess it just depends on the game, but I don't know. When I play Time Crisis or whatever, I don't really mind hitting the button on the side of the gun to shoot a grenade. So yeah. I'm kind of fine with that in VR. I think the main thing is shooting a gun. I'd rather that feel good and then have a little bit immersion breaking when I'm trying to throw a grenade, you know? I think the other element for me that would be really important is that a third-party peripheral allows you to still have all of the resistive triggers and adaptive, you know, all that stuff, the adaptive triggers that the VR2 Sense controllers have. But if Sony made an official, imagine how cool it would be as if they put that same actuator thing in the actual trigger of the gun so that as you're shooting, you can feel the trigger resistance and like vibration that comes from that actuator. Yeah. That would be sick. That would be very cool. I agree with that. That would be my thing is if them making a gun controller means that they wouldn't carry over a lot of the cool dual sense functionality, then eh, I don't need it, but that's okay. Uh, Moving on. So once we get out of all the VR space, we go into them talking about the new PS plus games for March. And those are battlefield 2042 Minecraft dungeons and code vein. That is all PS plus subscribers. That's our monthly drop. And then from there, People who have the extra or premium tiers get access to Rainbow Six Extraction, Uncharted, Chia, which is a day and date uh, release that got a new trailer as well for it. I like to call that game Moana meets Wind Waker meets Breath of the Wild. Like that is 
that's the triangle of inspiration for that game. I think it looks quite good. Uh, that will be a day and date release. Then we have Ghostwire Tokyo and Immortals. And I think uh, it's Immortals Phoenix, whatever. I, I hate that game. Phoenix name Rising. So much. I, yeah. I thought it was that Netflix game. That's Immortality. Got it. Well, then I'll go fuck myself. Wasn't it Gods and Monsters before or something like that? And then and Monster a, in, Energy infinitely said cooler no. name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Infinitely cooler name, but that's okay. Um, interestingly, I can uh, I guess I can announce since it's the last day of February as of recording, um, Chia has won the monthly game vote for our Platinum Challenge with eight votes. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. all right. I wasn't going to play it. I guess I will now. <laughs> yeah, uh, what was the game that was coming up close on the back of it? Was it Ghostwire? Uh, yes, Ghostwire. So we ended with three votes for Resident Evil, eight for Chia, four for Ghostwire Tokyo, and two for Minecraft Dungeons. Minecraft Dungeons is an excellent game. Yeah, uh, you that's have a that cool platinum, edition. Right? I do have that platinum. Yeah. It's not really a hard platinum. It is fun. It's it is no Diablo three. Thankfully. No. <laughs> I hope Diablo 4 is no Diablo 3. I hope Diablo Oof. 3 and Diablo 4 are no Diablo 2s with that trophy. Holy Christ. I don't even want to know what the trophy list for <laughs> for that remaster was. Or remake, Diablo 2 has a trophy. So on PSN profiles, it's a 10 out of 10. It's a like 80-something playthroughs, and it's a 999-plus hour platinum. <laughs> Ooh. So you need to Diablo three is not that. <laughs> no, you need to get to max level, and I was reading that the last level takes as much XP as level one through ninety nine. <laughs> Ooh, well, <laughs> that's a little RuneScape joke for you. So there's a the RuneScape joke is ninety two equals ninety nine. Yeah. And the reason being, I think I may have told you this before, but the amount of experience that it takes to get from level 1 to 92 in any skill is the same amount of experience as you need to get from level 92 to level 97, to level <laughs> 99 Jesus. in any skill. That's insane. It's, it's quite rough. Yeah. So, yeah, that is crazy. I think the hardest thing about uh, Diablo 3 was just, what was it, 300, 400 bounties, something like that. It was some crazy amount of bounties, and it's just, it, it, they were super repetitive. And it's like, okay. Oh man, I just saw that my uh, my Kit Kat Tabbers, the podcast cat for longtime listeners, they'll remember her. She's uh she's in the studio. I didn't even realize that she was sleeping like a big girl. Welcome back, <laughs> podcast anyway, cat. Uh, yeah. So getting PS Plus here kind of checks out, and I understand why they did it. I mean, this is state of play. It's not meant to be some big thing. It's just hey, here's a check in on what PlayStation's doing. It did its job. Um, after that, we got the primary PS5 announcements and updates. So course like i said we got an update on chia getting a release date and it's next month we have humanity which is also supporting of psvr2 and i don't know what the hell to call humanity it looks fun but i i don't know how to describe it you play as a ghostly dog leading humans through puzzles and you can play that in vr it sounds like a game it does sound like a game. It looks kind of good. 
But if I were to explain to someone like what type of game it is, that's the closest I could get to you. It is from the developers of Tetris Effect and uh, Res, if I remember correct. Uh, which is funny because my wife was she saw that Tetris Effect was available as a PSVR two game, and she was like, "How do you play that in VR?" And I don't know the answer because yeah. it's just Tetris, like. If I were to think Tetris VR, I would think that you'd move Tetris and you'd add a third layer. So like as shapes were coming down, you'd have to like get behind it and see if there was a cube and like behind the other ones was somewhere you could slot it in. But that is not <laughs> what Tetris Effect is from what I can tell. Um, so it's just supporting that. Uh, we got Baldur's Gate 3 getting a release date, like we said, Woo! August 31st. And as some people mentioned when we were talking about how little Devil Inside has been oddly quiet... Uh, some people brought up how we had not heard anything from Goodbye Volcano High. And guess what? It's come out of its little shell. It's cracked out. It's you know, grown up little dinosaur now. And I have no clue how to describe what that game is. Because at first I was like, are they trying to show that it's a rhythm game? And then they keep going and it looks like it's like a persona or maybe like a Doki Doki Literature Club style game. So I'm, a, I'm pretty sure it's like a mashup. I think it's a lot of different styles of game coming together. I think it's like a high school sim where you go through and you build up relationships with certain people. There is a story at play. You make decisions about where you want to go. In certain parts, because the characters are in a band, you do some rhythm gaming ideas. I don't think it looks terrible. <laughs> and I originally thought it looked really awful. Uh, awful strong. I thought it looked weird and pointless before. At least now I have a better idea. Not saying I'm going to play it, but it's interesting. Chris, do you have any thoughts on <laughs> Goodbye Volcano High? It looks like a game. It's, it seems interesting, but I honestly don't particularly care for what it seems like it's going for. It just doesn't seem up my alley. Which Maybe is interesting because I feel like... Easy, I don't know. Well, fair, but I feel like it's kind of like the relationship aspects of games like Persona and those types of games that are fairly common. Those types of mechanics are fairly common in Japanese, you know, role-playing games. Yeah, but furry shit creeps me out. Fair, but I guess I don't consider this furry because they at least are humans. I think what makes furries weird to me, and I'm not judging anybody who's into it, but I'm saying for me, I right, the, the disconnect I have for it is, as I say always, no kink shaming. Whatever gets you off is your business. Whatever you're into, your business. But I think what makes it different than looking at something where they're just anthropomorphic dinosaurs, because that'd be like you saying that Sly Cooper is weird because Sly Cooper are anthropomorphic animals. Do you think Sly Cooper is odd? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, for sure. So anything that's anthropomorphized as animals is slightly off to you. Yeah. 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 That's at least logically consistent. For me, the thing about furries is that they're clearly not that, but they represent as that fully. And that is, it's like, oh, okay. So if you were to make a game about that, I'd be like, I know there's people in there. <laughs> that, that would be the that would be the weird part of me is like so all of these interactions are happening with people that we know are people underneath this it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier for it to hit your palate when you can just go oh these are just dinosaurs that can talk that for me at least i'm like okay this is like any other anthropomorphized thing yeah i guess the biggest problem with this one for me is that it's 
dinosaurs doing human things. That's where it gets weird for me. Okay, but in Sly Cooper, you're walking around, living in houses, robbing from people, going to clubs. I already told you I thought Sly Cooper was weird, too. (laughs) I know, but you're acting like this is so unique. (laughs) That's all I'm getting at. I'm not. I'm saying that furry shit creeps me out. I didn't play Biomutant. I didn't play Sly Cooper. It's weird. I don't like it. Fair enough. I don't I even like that Morgana stuff. talks, and she's it's season one of my favorite games ever. All right, Chris. I learned something about you today. Now I know yeah. why you have such bad taste in games. All right, mister. I won't play Persona because it's so long. Coward. I never said Persona was bad because it's so long. I didn't say that. Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, continuing on, we got three new Street Fighter Six characters revealed. So that's Cammy, Zangief, Zangief. I don't know how to even say that, and Lily, uh, which Lily looks like an entirely new character. I don't think I've ever seen her before. I am not a big Street Fighter buff, so but I recognize the other people. So Lily being unrecognizable, I assume she's new to the game. Uh, with that, Chris comes a yeah. question. Because I think both of us can fairly say that we're not much, we're not huge in the fighting game situation, right? Would you agree? No, I like fighting games. I mean, I like them. I play some of them. But like, are you intending to play Street Fighter Six? Yeah. Okay, cool. Good answer. Or good to know on my part. So Rude Days 93 says, which fighting game do you like more between Tekken, Street Fighter, and Mortal Kombat? And he spelled Mortal Kombat with a C. But I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that this Ew. was autocorrect. If There's not, no benefit of that. He says, and why is Soul Calibur series better than all three of them? Have at thee, Chris. Swing it um, the, the answer is Mortal Kombat and Dragon Ball Fighters is better than all four of them, which is the Dragon game Ball that Fighters I play. Is, uh, it's pretty good. Um, I think Mortal Kombat because Mortal. So. Fighting games for me are weird. I tend to play fighter games where I'm interacting with the mechanics as long as the story persists. And I think Mortal Kombat's typically, definitely since like Mortal Kombat 9, has done a really good job of weaving a narrative into its fights that it sets up and setting them up that way and then having a payoff and then I can quit. And that's why I really liked Injustice uh, and then Injustice 2. So I would say that I am quite fond of nether realms fighting games i used to like tekken when i was younger and there is a very complicated story within tekken but it's just i'm way too out of it to really want to keep up with it at this point so i kind of just don't think about it uh which is why when people bring up that they don't want to have to try and get into kingdom hearts now because there's like eight games i'm like it's exactly where i'm at with tekken i knew what was happening in tekken through like tekken three or maybe tag team tournament and then i it's like I don't know what the fuck's happening here. <laughs> so it's just is what it is. Um but that's okay. So yeah, uh Soul Calibur though. I adored both Dead or Alive and Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast. Um they were such crazy advanced games for their time and I remember thinking that this felt like the most realistic a game had ever looked in my life at the time. Like Dead or Alive on Dreamcast still looks solid. It's still a great looking game. And they got jiggle physics. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Bouncing uh, thing. So 
But I do like Soul Calibur. I think from a pure, f- it's hard to say. I think Mortal Kombat is probably also among my favorite for pure fighting mechanics and how they interact with each other. Uh, but I do quite like Soul Calibur. And they have a lot of interesting characters. If I could say, I think the thing I like about fighting games across the board the most is that they have a really good time once you're separate from the story, just bringing in characters from random shit and being like, it's Mortal Kombat, but you can play as Freddy Krueger. <laughs> okay, let's fucking go. You know? It's like, that's totally fine. That's cool. It's Mortal Kombat, but you can play as the Predator. Ooh. All right, cool. Sick. I think they should have added Chris Hansen in the same thing. <laughs> Chris Hansen versus Predator? Yeah. Have a seat for me, Predator. <laughs> that's his, his like that's his finisher move <laughs> his fatality would be hilarious yeah just pulls out a chair then they get arrested i think the funniest the funniest part would be his fatality would be him having the chair and having the guy on the chair and then being like you're free to leave and then your character like gets up and breaks the fourth wall and like walks out of a door and immediately gets tackled to the ground by cops like <laughs> <laughs> Just striker comes out and just knocks him out. Even better if it was Mortal, like if it's Mortal Kombat, if it's Mortal Kombat cops, like yeah. uh, Cassie or whatever. Yeah, it's like, just, come on, let's just Cassie, Jack, Strider, or Striker. Yeah, incredible stuff. Ha- every, yeah, just have the re- the real world police force come and <laughs> come and get Predator. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Uh, it kind of makes me think. You know, you were talking about how Midnight Suns introduce the ability to play with a new character throughout the campaign, but then the campaign gives him lines of dialogue that fit with what's going on. I think it would be really interesting if fighting games did that. Like, hey, we've made a DLC to introduce Freddy Krueger, but now that means Freddy Krueger can be played throughout the story of the game, and we're going to have to introduce people acknowledging Freddy Krueger and Freddy Krueger having his own lines for his motivations within this narrative. That would be hilarious and super difficult. It would be, but I'm here for it. Do it right. Yeah, I'm here for it as well. Uh, All right, moving on with the rest of the state of play. We got um, Resident Evil 4 remake trailer. Gave us our first look at Krauser. First demo dropping soon. And Mercenaries confirmed, which is great for people that love that mode. Um, Chris, I know you're big on Resident Evil 4, right? You love that game? Very excited. Are you feeling good about the remake? I am. Um, I'm on media blackout for it, though. I won't watch anything else about it. Um, oh, so did you watch this, or did you, as soon as it came nope. out, were you like, no? Yeah, turn it off. Man, it's interesting, because I, I really wanted to hear your thoughts as someone who's a big fan. I have always known that Resident Evil 4 is such a big departure from 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of hoping that part of what they were trying to do with Resident Evil 2 Remake, 3 Remake, and then a 4 Remake would be try to find a way to make them come closer. Because something about the trappings of 4, it's just got this weird gameplay shift that's going on that you can see in real time and these different things where I feel like I'm watching the series yet again jump the shark. And it's... I don't even know how to describe it. It doesn't even mean that I don't want to play it. It's just, it feels so different than Resident Evil 2 Remake and 3 Remake. And I I don't know. It's it's odd. 
I don't know yeah. if it's because as series go on, you've got to start using different ideas. Like it's easy to be grounded when the majority of what you're doing is in a police station. And then you get a little weird by having an underground science station. Like that's not that crazy, but then you start going even further. And it's like gameplay wise, you know, it's like riding in a mine cart and shooting <laughs> in explosive barrels is not what I'm. Th- I don't even remember that from Resident Evil Four. Is that even in the actual game? I've not played it in years at this point. I believe, but I've played is, it yeah. multiple times. I've beat, I beat it on PS2 originally, and then I went back and beat it at a friend's house on GameCube. So I beat it at least two times. Um, Either way, it was just weird to see. I don't know. I'm like, part of me is excited just because of how good Dead Space remake was, um, and I'm gonna get it, or you know, I'll I'll play it. But I just had a weird feeling in my gut as I was watching it. Like, huh? It would be really crazy if the exact same thing happens again, where people are like, Resident Evil Four completely changed the series, and I hate it for it, and they were doing so well. But they're probably not gonna have that problem because. Resident Evil, as I've landed in my head, Resident Evil has landed on what Assassin's Creed should have done five years ago. Yeah. Spread your games out a little further and then use your use the different styles that people like about your games to their advantage. You can make Resident Evil 7. Then you can make Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake. And then you can make Resident Evil 8. And for people that like the new first-person viewpoint that Resident Evil 7 and 8 introduce, great. And then 2 and 3 go back to this behind the the shoulder that Resident Evil 4, 5, and 6 kind of brought into play. And you get to have that. And then now Resident Evil 4 is coming back to that. So it's like you, you would imagine that Resident Evil 9, by the time that we get there, is going to introduce in a sense where it can once again be first person. And it just kind of feels like that series is taking rest where needed and introducing and, and putting out games that speak to the specific fan bases. And a lot of games that are big series don't do that, right? Like, I have a feeling, and it probably wouldn't work as well because God of War is like four to five years between releases at this point. But I don't think like a God of War in the same style as the originals would do very well <laughs> right now. No, like if they just not. came out with it shortly after it. Um, in comparison to what I think people do want from Assassin's Creed, where that series took a huge left turn and then just left everyone in the dust and being like, well, if you like the old Assassin's Creed, none of that shit is in Odyssey or none of the, none of it's in Origins. So yeah. deal with it. And then here's <clears throat> Odyssey and here's Valhalla. But think about it this way, right? Origins comes out. It's a huge change up for the series. People like it, but they're a little worried that the series is going to go too far away from what they liked. The next game that you come out with, guess what? It's more of a return to the old thing. We have some new ideas in here, but it's more like the Assassin's Creed you like. Then you put out Odyssey. And because Origins and Odyssey are like 60-hour games, but say unity and whatever this middle game that you put out between them is like a you know 20 hour original assassin's creed game you help with people feeling fatigued you help with people who feel like they want their itch of wanting the original assassin's creed scratched you get lucky and you have people who are fans of both and buy both and then you get people who don't really like the new style but they'll keep buying the middle style that's how i feel like ubisoft should have approached this and capcom is super smart for doing this can i say something funny um, you're talking about spacing out the games. Since 2019, there has been at least one game every year. For Resident Evil? Yep. Yeah, I know. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, it didn't sound, <laughs> sounded yeah. like you were saying well, they were spacing the games out, and they're just not doing that. The games are just so good that. Well, yeah, but they're spacing styles, right? Like Resident Evil Two and Three are Three specifically is a fairly short game. Resident uh-huh. Evil Two is a longer game, so they kind of view that as as one project even though they released those two games, smart enough. But there's a quite a big gap between Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 2 Remake. And then there's quite a big gap between Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 8. So if you didn't like the over-the-shoulder stuff and you really liked the first person, you got ostensibly a five-year wait between 7 and 8. And that means that you weren't burned out of that style. So let's say that you liked Resident Evil 2 and 3 Remake, right? By the time that we're hitting into this one, it's been at least three years since you've played a behind-the-shoulder one, at least at launch. You know what I mean? That's fair. I'll give you that. Whereas it feels like you're playing Origins, and then two years later you're playing Odyssey, which is a massive fucking game, and then two years later you're playing Valhalla, and it's like, holy crap, can I get a break? The other the other side of this is that no matter what you do, Resident Evil games are known for replayability, not for long length up at the front. And it is just easier for people to want to play and enjoy a game that's like eight to 10 hours or eight to 12 hours, whatever it be, than it is to be like, it's been two years and here's another 160 hour Assassin's (laughs) Creed game. Let's go. Right. It's like, realistically, there were probably people who were still playing Odyssey and hadn't yet done everything Odyssey had done by the time that they announced Valhalla. And I don't think that's the right move. (laughs) You know, I, I don't disagree. Which, what do I know? That's also the idea behind games as a service. Literally play the same game in perpetuity. Forever. People will do it, so. And people do it. People are fickle. So clearly. They are fickle. All right, we got to new trailer for online multiplayer action RPG Wayfinder, which comes to us courtesy of a fantastic studio. Uh, But unfortunately, I didn't really think it looked very good. Uh, So the... (laughs) I am I it, they call it an online RPG, right? Or at least that's even what this article says. But it looks like an MMO, right? It does, yeah. I mean that's that's what it is at, at that point. Um anyway, I'm pretty sure it was Airship Syndicate who made that game, uh, if I'm not mistaken and if so, that is yeah, Wayfinder. Um <clears throat> Wow, this game's been out since 2021. So it must just be coming to console. Well, hold on. That can't be right. Because they said it's going in a beta on PS5. Yeah, it must be that they've done it through something else. Either way, doesn't look like my cup of tea. I love their art style, though. And, uh, hey, all I know is that I want the guy who does their art, Joe, to uh, return to be part of any of the art they do for what I hope to be the eventual Darksiders conclusion. But we will wait and see. I wish you luck with that one, dog. <clears throat> yep. All right. For me personally, as not a Naruto fan, the Naruto t- uh, X, you know, Boruto Ultimate Ninja Storm connections, I was bored out of my mind from being dead honest. <laughs> not for me. Uh, do you have anything you want to say about that one? I don't think that's really your speed either, but hey, you like fighting games, Chris. That might be exactly your speed. Um, no, I don't have too much to say about it, if I'm being honest with you. All right, that brings us to the big deal. And it was clearly the biggest thing that Sony thought was here as well because of the fact that they made a big deal of it. We got our first chance at actually seeing in-depth gameplay, long stint of Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. And 
once again, important to say the online gamers core Twitter and social media has been quite divisive. Some people are all in and thinking it looks amazing. Other people say that this is all they needed to see to tell them that they don't want to give this game a chance. Chris, I already know you were quite rocky on this, even though we both love Rocksteady for previous games. Mm -hmm. Did you watch this? I did check it out. Yes. Um, Did it move where you were originally standing in any significant way? Did it reaffirm what you thought? It looks... I don't know. I don't know how to explain it because it doesn't necessarily look not fun. But at the same time, I have no interest in ever playing it now. <laughs> like you, I, if it was a free PS Plus game or if you bought it or if Rocksteady is listening right now and wants to send me a, pre, a code, um, I would play it then. But I don't know. I don't see myself this year spending that spending the money on it. Um, when does it come out? May? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's just there's just no way. There's other stuff, you know. That's Resident Evil's right around there. There's just too much stuff, and this game just doesn't look fun. I guess. I agree with you that as I was watching it, and I, you know, I was originally being a little more like it might work, it could work, and I still think I'm landing on the fact that from a much more pessimistic place than I was with Forspoken and other titles that I've recently taken chances on. I think I'm going to try and buy this and play it anyway. Yeah. But I think the best way to describe it is it doesn't mean it can't be good. And I think the biggest issue I had with watching this and seeing it unfold is that they started it by saying, this is our return to the Arkham verse. And I see zero Arkhamverse DNA in this game. Me too. And I think that's my biggest problem. I think if you would have just had Rocksteady come out and say, Arkham was the Arkham series and we loved it and we're done with that, but because it comes with a certain level of expectation and ideology behind it, this is us looking at another DC property and this is completely disconnected, and you should not expect it to play into or factor into anything to do with Arkham. And I think you would have set people like me, who are huge Rocksteady fans, specifically from their Batman work, in a position to be more open-minded coming in. And then maybe see it for something that's fun. But there is a little bit more than that. I think the flip side is, a lot of it's just introducing stuff that, I was always glad to not have to worry about in Rocksteady's games. Like the little developer thing that they did afterwards where it's like the devs talking about, there was a spot where they had this uh, girl come in and she was saying like, this game's got a little bit of everything. She's like, if you like RPG mechanics, they're there. If you like um, shoot 'em ups, it's there. And if you like this, it's there. And I think what I kind of really loved about the Arkham games is that they seemed so focused. Like, yeah, they had a breadth of mechanics for you to use, but they all kind of work towards one idea. And they have such a strong sense of atmosphere, not only in the actual visible, visible representation, but in how all the gameplay elements combine. And I don't think of Rocksteady and think about gunplay I don't think about Rocksteady and think about bullet sponges. I don't think about them and think about having 
four players come in and try and attack one big boss. I think about interesting one-on-one boss fights with specific enemies. And I think the real thing I had coming into this, I don't know if you ever played DC Universe Online in any meaningful way. Not really, no. But if you play the villain storyline, you know, they kept talking about, we want, uh, we want to show people the Arkham universe and all this from the perspective of the villains. I feel like this game has a lack of atmosphere, which I know is weird because like Gotham and Metropolis in DC do have different looks and feels. They just do uh, because of the way that they represent how the, each city views their primary hero, right? Like Batman's a vigilante and people are unsure whether to trust him or not but he's ultimately needed. And then you have Superman who's revered and everyone loves him. And Metropolis is built around this idea of Superman. Hey, Tabbers. Um, (laughs) Anyway. So I was looking at this and saying like, I've, I've played this game. I was a villain in DC universe online. Brainiac comes and gives everybody powers and you get to fight the superheroes. And not much about this looked that different. If, and if anything, the more interesting thing about DC Universe Online is that it wasn't gun-focused because you had powers. The whole point was that Brainiac gave you powers too and you could choose to be good or bad. So you could still shoot blast out of your hands or run up walls or fly in the air. And I, I don't understand this weird obsession with being in a superhero world and having no powers. Everybody that you're playing as is just using a gun. Like, oh, Captain Boomerang, you know, he's you. Everyone knows him for his gun usage. (laughs) Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, that was the weirdest part of the trailer for me, where it's like you're showing me all this stuff that looks fun, but isn't true to the characters. Even like, and I'm not a gigantic DC comic guy, but just the fact that they had to be like, yeah, Captain Boomerang has this weird wrist thing that channels the speed force so he can go super fast. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? Well, that's the thing for me is it feels like they're having to create reasons, which is fine. I mean, you can do that. But at the same time, it's kind of just like, well, couldn't you have also done that anyway? Like, couldn't you have found a way to just have me be someone that had powers. Like, I just feel like they chose such interesting people. And I don't know how I feel about it. That's part of the weird thing is it's a suicide squad game. Yes. There's a set numbers of the suicide squad, but you have creative license. If you wanted to put a speedster in there, why don't you just put the reverse flash in the suicide squad? Like there's all these. Yeah. That was my thing. (sighs) Right. And I think it's because it doesn't fit into the gunplay style thing. They wanted the characters to use guns, but they wanted them to try and feel unique past that. But that doesn't really, that's not the same, right? Like that. I don't want my DC game to feel like destiny where the only real difference comes from class. And and hell, I'd even argue that realistically destiny looks to have more magic and superpower looking crap than this game does. Yeah. And that's fine. But that's, this isn't the game I was going for. And I don't even think it's going to be a bad game. My thought process is I will buy the game and give it the benefit of the doubt, just like I have a few games, and hope that it can prove itself to me. But I'm not going to lie. It's a little weird that I'm running around as fucking King Shark and I'm shooting people instead of like punching. This He should be the Hulk of this universe, should he not? He's yeah. massive, ripping with muscles. I should be running around eating people's heads off, smacking them out of the way, and instead I'm flying around shooting people with a gun. I don't understand it. 
it seems like a game that wants to use DC universe property and have all these characters that you'd expect, but then try and exist within, well, we want a constrained gameplay idea. And that works. You can do a constrained gameplay idea when you only have to play as one character in a meaningful capacity. Mm-hmm. You ever notice that anytime you played as someone else in the Batman games, it was very limited so that they didn't yeah. have to worry about fleshing these power sets out or these move sets out. And you can be like, well, okay, well, the rest of the Batman people are still just beat them up people. It's like Robin and Batman that they don't use powers. So it's cool. Most of Batman's rogue gallery doesn't have powers in terms of the hero side. And you're never playing as the villain in those games. So you don't have to worry about trying to be Mr. Freeze or poison Ivy. You got to go against them, but that's great. It means your gameplay constraint works. I don't think putting the same gameplay constraints on Harley Quinn, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang and a fucking shark. (laughs) <laughs> makes sense well yeah so and it's funny because i would hope to be peacefully uh, to be uh pleasantly surprised but why wouldn't they just do this like um oh, i'm sorry look more at destiny be like okay king shark is a titan dead shot is a warlock captain boomerang is a different you know what i mean like why why yeah. wasn't it like even there and i'm sure there's going to be things like king shark can take more damage but why isn't king shark getting upgrades to his i don't know knuckles if we're doing this why does king shark have a fucking gun why does captain boomerang not have a boomerang it's the same as a gun it comes back <laughs> and an infinitely more interesting weapon. 100%. I mean, 100%. I would rather use a boomerang with him. And instead, they're getting into this, well, there's different gun manufacturers. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, no one's ever been like, dude, you have, you know what I love about DC? All the different gun manufacturers that they have right. in, the game world, in, exactly. in, the, in the world of DC. But, okay. This is a really important statement. And I know there are people that really enjoyed this game. So it is what it is. I'm not saying that. Outside looking in, someone who's never played either of them... I think on the surface, outside looking in, Crystal Dynamics took more care to create different and unique play styles for their characters and Avengers than Rocksteady did in this game. Rocksteady just went, we're going to mostly copy and paste the same thing for four different people. And at least Avengers are like, you're playing as Hulk. You're going to punch people and you're going to throw around. And if you're playing as, you know, somebody who can fly, you're going to fly around. Like if you're playing as Iron Man, you can fly and you can shoot blasters out of your hands. And if you're playing as Captain America, it's going to be more melee focused and you're going to use the shield and you're going to block and throw. And if you're playing as Hawkeye, you're going to be more range focused and you're going to shoot arrows and stuff. They leaned into what makes those characters unique and interesting, but they also had the benefit of being able to do it from the hero side. Like you said, though, there is a way to make a suicide squad kill the justice league with characters that do have powers and work in interesting ways. Deadshot, probably fine. He could be your gun guy, right? Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. He makes sense to come in. Let Captain Boomerang be like a a, a melee-focused dude who you like uses his boomerang to hit you, but then he also has some range option by being able to throw out his boomerang and come back. Awesome. Have Reverse Flash. He's your speedster-type character. You can literally have a story reason as to why Reverse Flash wants to fucking kill the flash I, yes and then it, <laughs> and then it's even more surprising that diana is wanting to work with the suicide squad when it's made up of people like reverse flash and not just you know these kind of minor side because like a lot of these people are like non-known and that's fine you know 
as Marvel has shown, you can make smaller comic book characters relevant if you're smart with it. So Captain Boomerang can be pulled up. But Harley Quinn, as much as I love her, is just she's the sidekick to the Joker. The Joker is the interesting one out of the two of them. And she's only interesting insofar as she plays off of the Joker and Batman. I don't think she's an ex- exceedingly interesting character on her own. <laughs> and I'd be curious to see if they can make her in this, but we'll see. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm going to give it time. I'm going to give it, I'm going to look at more gameplay. I will probably buy it just to see, but Hey, if you get it, we'll both play it. It's not so. there. We'll see. But that does wrap up everything that they showed. And that comes with the question, Chris. Do you share the sentiment that some people do that's come from this as being this state of play was too far from the last one? It didn't have any meaningful updates and that realistically at this point, we do not need state of plays from Sony. We need a PlayStation showcase. Do you agree with that? And separately, if we look at this for what it is, which is a state of play, do you think this was a good, bad, or just completely reasonable state of play? Um, Sony set expectations properly. I feel like if you were disappointed, it's entirely your fault. Because, um, I mean, and I saw stuff like, they're going to announce, <coughs> excuse me, um, I saw stuff like, oh, they're going to announce the Metal Gear Solid Collection remastered at this event. I'm like, you guys are setting yourself up. Um, Sony clearly needs state of plays because I'm sure there's marketing stuff that goes into this. I mean, there is. That's what Jeff Grubb was saying. Who He said that before A3, we're getting a showcase. <coughs> and we well, he said state one. of play specifically. No, he said showcase in June. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. I thought you meant he was saying there would be a state of play before June. Is what yes, I was getting. Yes, yes, at. yes. Mm. Before, yeah. Okay. Um, so he was saying that, and he was saying that the devs weren't ready last year. They're ready now. It's the second phase of PS5 showcase. But this stuff is still important, as he said, and as should be obvious for marketing deals. You know, this was clearly Sony's got an in with Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. And they're giving them a place to show it. And this is a great place to announce the PS Plus games. It's a great place to announce Chia's release date and Goodbye Volcano High's release date. This is one of those, It's it's uh, again, I've used this a lot, but it's another monkey's paw thing where it's like, okay, you wanted to see games. You, uh, you want to see games at a showcase, but if they'd shown this at a showcase, everyone would be calling the showcase terrible. So you get a state of play that Sony warned you was going to be PSVR focused, Suicide Squad focused, and a couple third-party announcements. That is exactly what we got. I would just caution people to stop getting overhyped for state of plays. Some state of plays last year were better than others. Some of them were sh- almost showcase level. I feel like I remember one that was we on the show were like, wow, that was incredible. But that's not what they're for. That's not what they're for. It's PlayStation showcases when you're getting at the big blowouts. If we're getting a Metal Gear remake, it's going to be shown at a PlayStation showcase. They're not going to announce a random state of play for a random Thursday and then show off one of the, what will be one of their biggest games ever. You know, like that's just not how this stuff works. 
We just yeah. got to be a little I more. I think Sony has done a really good job of saying the state of plays will be something that they set expectations. And then the showcases that they have done so far are, they come with no expectations because they want everything to be a surprise because a lot of it will be new. The thing mm-hmm. about state of play is a lot of it is giving us information on games you already knew about. That's the whole purpose of them. Uh, I think it is a little crazy that some people start expecting things uh, and being like, well, we're going to get this big announcement here. That doesn't make sense. State of play has never been that. Ever. No. It just it doesn't. This is to give you updates on things we mostly already know about. Like, yeah, PSVR 2, we got a few new announcements, and that's cool. But that's a pretty niche little area that they're just serving because they just put out a headset. It checks out. Makes sense. Uh, they did the same thing with the original PSVR. They'd have um, state of plays that were focused towards specifically that. Um, one thing I saw that was interesting here is that there are some people, and this is a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? This is what you say, that monkey's paw thing where people were talking about how after this state of play, they don't really, because before, I don't know if you saw, people were like, PlayStation just keeps putting blog posts out about everything and they won't have a state of play or a showcase or anything. They're just going to blog post everything. And then I saw a big shift where after this, people were like, well, after that state of play, I'm kind of, a, am not too fussed about uh, the blog post. Maybe that's better than this. And I think that's a little bit ridiculous. You know, this is way more eyes that are going to be on this and you're going to get on a blog post just by nature of what it is. And then, like you said, this ex- this gives you that exertion of marketing deals that you've made with people. You get more eyes on it. You get to do things like talk about PS Plus for a more casual audience that will tune in but won't necessarily go to PlayStation blog every day. You know what I mean? It's a perfect set of that. And then state of, and then the showcases come in. Now, if we separate state of play, I think this was a perfectly reasonable showcase that was previously told. They did not set unreasonable expectations. I would almost argue that literally every state of play has been completely fine because mm-hmm. they've always set the expectation. They have never once been like, oh, get ready for a surprise that you would never in a million years see. That's just not what they're doing. Here's um, Chia. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, and, uh, separate I think, though, I do feel like we need a showcase. I do agree with that sentiment, right? Oh, yeah. At this point, it's been far too long since a showcase, and it's reasonable that people who bought into PS5 definitely recently, as a lot of people were suddenly able to get them, are wanting to see what the next big batch of things they can expect for their PS5 are. But go ahead, Chris. No, I just think maybe the only misstep Sony's made with this is that one of the times they blew everyone away. <laughs> That's probably their biggest mistake. Even though they already, on that one time they blew us away, they still told everybody what was going to be there. Right. Almost they just surprised yeah. us once, you know? <laughs> and that'll happen it's too. It's like, even though I knew everything was there, uh, it still was just very good. Right. Well, wasn't there that one where they were like, oh, it's going to be a tiny showcase, a couple announcements, and then it was like Resident Evil 4, and what I remember one other big game that were all announced at a state of play. So, Yeah, and I think, like you said, I think it became obvious that that particular state of play was probably around the time where they originally were hoping to do a showcase, and enough of their first-party studios were like, no, 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 we're not there. And Sony was like, all the games that we were going to do are just going to get state of plays. <laughs> They're going to get thrown into a state of play. A couple of our third-party deals. Because that's what Resident Evil 4 is. That's what Silent Hill 2 is, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like we've just made deals with uh, people. So 
Yeah, I'm excited to finally see a showcase. And I think ideally we, we would get to a point where every year we're getting an idea of this is what you can expect this year in PlayStation or the next year and a half in PlayStation. But I don't know. I still am at that point where is it that COVID messed that up or is it that games developments links continue to get so bloated and so long that they can't really support a yearly schedule anymore at their current studio level? Because what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to buy more teams, more studios and get more first party things in order to be like, we have enough to show to justify a showcase every year. Because even though the games take five years to make, three to five years, whatever it be, we can rotate our studios enough to hit that cadence and every year have something new and cool to show. That's a big gamble. Microsoft took that gamble and there are games that we've known about for two years with no meaningful updates. Monkey paw. It's it's the story of everything. Even if you, even if you excel the one time, it's going to fall short somewhere else. Someone's not going to be excited or happy. My real curiosity is once we get a showcase, what is going to be the reaction? Is it going to be like, it's been so long that you just like absolutely love it and nobody wants to tear it down? Or have people tried, if people on Twitter and this little bubble sphere are so soured on PlayStation and it's just in this spiral of negativity that it won't be good enough either. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. I do. Um, yeah. I, it doesn't matter. They're going to show a bunch of first party stuff and it'll be perfect. Yeah. Well, I think that that's it. I think it was a perfectly fine uh, state of play. You seem like you do as well. The biggest takeaway I can have for it is, I may have placed a little too much trust in Suicide Squad in terms of my own enjoyment of it. That has been shaken a little bit, but I'm willing to give it a chance. Uh, let's wrap the show up, Chris. Let's do. Let's, let's catch all the questions that we did not get to in the main episode. So with that, we have one from Jehudi MD, of course, one of our patrons, as we mentioned. He came up, and it's more of a statement than anything, but it is kind of a question as well. Uh, he says, some podcast ago, Chris Figg said something about Avengers being played like Guardians of the Galaxy. I would take it further. Why has no studio been able to replicate the Mass Effect trilogy in terms of character, setting, story, and gameplay? I would love to play an Avengers game done in the style of a Mass Effect game. So he's saying take that idea of Mass Effect being large and having an ensemble, but take the Avengers property and put it within that casing. Chris, since this was your remark, take it away, man. What are your thoughts here? Um, I mean, I think the reason that you're not going to, I don't think you're going to get it in an Avengers game is because the thing about, well, I guess, I don't know. I'm thinking because this thing about Mass Effect is it's a blank slate character. And I don't know how you do a blank slate character in a video game that could replicate Shepard. Like, how do you make the leader be uh, an unknown? And they do it in Midnight Suns, but I think Midnight Suns' biggest problem is that the story is extremely boring. And one of the problems for me was that Hero is just a just a nothing. You know, he's got a backstory, he's got a story, but it wasn't interesting. 
Like I said, that game is entirely carried by gameplay. I skipped every cutscene. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's the big challenge. Where you could, I could have seen like a new franchise doing a Mass Effect thing. Yeah, but I don't see it with a superhero game. I would rather see Guardians of the Galaxy than them trying to do that. Unless you're going to tell me like the first game is honestly, actually, now that I think of it. The first game is Tony Stark starting the Avengers. The second game is Tony Stark trying going on missions with his crewmates to gain their loyalty before they go on a suicide mission to space. And then the third game is Thanos is about to kill everybody. You know, it's very easy to actually make the game in my head now that I've said all that. But yeah, but the the thing I think that separates Mass Effect, right? Because he talks about characters, story, uh, those two things in particular when you try and put them into an existing universe, you talk about Shepard being a blank slate character. And the reason that works is because part of the reason that people love Mass Effect so much is that you can make decisions for a character that doesn't exist outside of who you've created. Right. And the problem with that is, is in the, in the Avengers, are you going to tell me that the Avengers just add some random hero that no one's ever actually known or met and you're just going to be... It'd be like, you know how the boys has random new heroes all the time coming into the eight or whatever they're called? Um, the seven, whatever they the seven. are. Uh, yeah, so I don't think you'd expect that from there, right? It would feel weird like you talk about with uh, Midnight Suns bringing a nobody in and being like, why wouldn't this be a character we already know? Mm-hmm. But the moment you make it a character you know, then you take the ability to make meaningful decisions out because you can't do things that are out of the character that exists. You can't be like, oh, I'm playing as Tony Stark and now it's giving me a chance to make a choice. But if I make this choice, this is a clearly not Tony Stark-like choice. You know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. And like Guardians of the Galaxy does do that, right? They do attempts making choices. And if you really want to get there, Jehudi, I'd say Guardians of the Galaxy, if it get if it does end up getting another game, which I don't know, but if it were to, it might be this because Guardians does try and allow you to make decisions, but they can't be so crazy that they exist outside of the scope of what you'd expect that character to do. So part of it is knowing that like Guardians leans on the somewhat uneasy alliance of all the people that are on that ship to where you can have a decision like throw Rocket across this chasm or wait for Groot to try and find some way to create a bridge. That seems like an innocuous decision in some ways, but in other ways it feels like what's well, a character decision, right? Because it's saying whether or not Peter is a mean person is he doing things at the expense of other people to see things done or is he waiting and that is important and that's what the game is bringing up but thankfully rocket and him and everyone on the ship have a very tenuous relationship so you can see why peter would make that decision for someone he's not close with but once they've been together for a while now you can't do that again right because now that i've played that game i can see no reason why peter as the character that he is within that story would make that decision. I don't think he would throw rocket because now they're too close. You get what I'm saying? It, yeah. It's a small decision, but it's indicative of blank slate characters work more because you have flexibility to make drastically different decisions because yeah. they're not beholden to an existing thought process of a character. And when you try and move too far out of that, you get people, you get like the once again, online response, but at least this bled well outside of Twitter. I saw this even on Facebook from people who are my high school friends 
Velma, that new show on HBO Max, a lot of people were talking about how that show was just characters by name and appearance only, and that everything else that made those characters what they were was completely sacrificed for trying to do something unique and interesting within that world. But what's the purpose of doing something unique and interesting with a set of characters if you're not making those characters anything like what those established characters are? If you suddenly make a Batman thing and Batman is just killing people left and right and saying, fuck everybody, but it's still supposed to be Bruce Wayne, you're going to be like, well, this doesn't make any fucking sense at all. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like now that we've talked about it a little more, honestly, the the single best way to do this is to focus on one character, right? If Spider-Man 1 was about Peter fighting Doc Ock, Spider-Man 2 was like, huh, Peter's acting a little different. And Spider-Man 3 is like, holy shit, Doc Ock did a certain something to Peter, and now we have to figure this the fuck out. <laughs> you know you know what I'm saying. I think you've read the, the arc. I don't want to spoil it. It's a great arc. Um, yeah. Dude. But... Doing a superior crazy in the game. Wouldn't that be awesome though? If they were like, okay, we can't do a Mass Effect thing, but we can make an RPG with Peter or with someone in Peter's orbit, and then we just see Peter changing throughout the series until hey, we're gonna finish off the superior Spider-Man arc. That that is a way to do it, you know. But as of now. I don't know yeah. how you make something in the spirit of Mass Effect, personally. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's the spirit of Mass Effect. I think the closest you're going to get to a Marvel property getting the spirit of Mass Effect has already been made, and that was Guardians. Yeah. I think it's the closest that fits within the confines, but still serves the ideas and kind of inspiration behind a Mass Effect title. Um, you know, bigger thing, though, he says, why has no studio been able to replicate the Mass Effect trilogy in terms of character setting, story, and gameplay? So I think he's also positing that separate from Avengers, he just doesn't feel like any other studio has quite hit that cadence. Would you agree with that? I would, yeah. Yeah? I think so. Mm. I think Infamous 1 and 2 give me a run for the money in that particular regard and trying to have choice-based narrative that carries real weight and moves between games. Um, but they're still quite different style games. You know, I would not really wager to call Infamous an RPG at all. No. I so. have trouble believing that anything like Mass Effect will ever happen again. It just seems far too complicated. So why do you think it happened in the first place? You just think it, took, it, it happened at a time where the games industry was willing to be that risky? I think it's that and it's something that had never been tried before. And the thing is, yeah, it was successful, but whether it was worth it is another question, right? Well, you know, the I, I think when I talk about risk, I'm kind of looking at Andromeda because like, you know, I remember Mass Effect 1 and it is a great game. I under it, it, It's okay. I think Mass Effect 1 is a good game. I played one. And I beat one, and I played two, and I beat two. Actually, I didn't beat one. I got pretty close, but the game was so buggy that I literally could not beat it. <laughs> it's like I just had to give up on it because I was playing on 360 back when it launched. Um, and I didn't play three at all. So take that for what that's worth. But my point being is that Andromeda did not get the same chance as Mass Effect 1. 
in large part because once you make three Mass Effect games that over the time get to a certain quality level and interaction level, you can't stumble again. It's like, that's really, I think the closest you might have been able to get is if Andromeda was not a Mass Effect game and Andromeda was just, hey, here's a series that we're coming up with, a new studio or a new team within BioWare's making it, and it's just called Andromeda. Andromeda. Yeah. And I wonder often, would that game have been given the same willingness to give it the, hey, you know what? It, it had some issues, but there's a promising foundation here. And I don't know the answer. I didn't beat Andromeda. So I'm I'm not harking up that. You know, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, could that have been part of it? And is that part of why we aren't seeing people do it again? Because the only time that it's tried to happen that I can think of this generation was with another Mass Effect game. And EA promptly was like, nope, not doing that again. So who wants to pick up that mantle? Yeah. The Witcher it, 4? Maybe. Probably not, but maybe. Mm, I don't know. Because like, would you say that? Well, you haven't played enough of The Witcher 3, realistically, but even The Witcher 3, fantastic RPG, fantastic character, fantastic setting. I don't think it's trying to do anything like what Mass Effect is trying to do. No, I don't think so either. Because you're playing as Geralt, you know? So, like, unless the new massive, I mean, unless the new Witcher is you making your own Witcher, which is possible in the lore of that world, and then you getting the freedom to make decisions within who you interact with and who you party up with, maybe, maybe they could. Because they've already said it won't, it won't be Geralt. So we'll just have to wait and see. We, we will. I'm fascinated to see. All right. One more question. It comes from another patron, Mr. B. Raj 88. I love this question. He says, your video game just got greenlit. You get to pick the music score for the game and you can get the rights to any one singular artist discography. Who are you picking? And he gives his answer. He says, give me Nas's collection as a whole. And I could tell such an amazing story with his music. So, Chris, do you have a fun answer for this one? Shrezzers. (laughs) <laughs> I was thinking it in my head, like, how funny would that be? <laughs> well, I guess the real question is, is it a, like, he says he could make a great game with Nas's discography. Okay, are you making a game about Nas? I think that's what he's doing. So I'm kind of taking this as, he says, you know, your game, your game gets greenlit, you get to pick the music score, and by extension, you're getting to use the rights for any singular artist's discography. And so he's saying that with Nas's discography, he can tell an amazing story with his music being a central part. So I'm imagining he's, he's doing something where he's either taking Nas's music and using it to fuel a fiction that can live around that music being part of that game's world or something to that degree. Huh. Do you have an answer? Because I think I have one, but I, have I do have an answer. For anybody who ever watches the show, they may notice that I often wear my Coheed and Cambria shirt. And uh, Coheed and Cambria have got the Amory Wars, which is what all of their music follows, uh, short of one album that we don't talk about. Um, so, with that in mind, I think you could easily tell a really cool sci fi story that, hey, there you go. You get to you get to go into a big space sci-fi thing, and the whole music is written to be a story of what's going on. So I think you can write a story around that and use that music to even separate from the lyrics. Right? You could create score pieces 
that pull from musical parts of other songs that you introduce in certain points. And you can make a great game just being like, well, we're going to play off the motif of Welcome Home here. We're going to play off the motif of Crossing the Frame here. We're going to play off the motif of In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 here. And we're going to be telling story parts that are in line with what's happening during those parts of that story. And I think that could be really cool. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my answer. Cody, and I think good that throwing in there just because of the fact that the the books are like graphic novels that they go in line with them i would want it to have infamous two style cutscenes where sometimes they're full-blown but sometimes they're like little comic panels that are moving around and that would be super sick all right i've got three answers <sighs> you went from no answers to three all right let's go yeah because one one feels really lame because i would just say tenacious d that's not lame though that's so good it is but then i would just be retelling pick of destiny so well there's more tenacious d than just pick a deck true yeah fair point we'll get daddy ding dong in a game yeah exactly i was about to say you could have daddy ding dong in a game Um, he'll rip your dick off he'll (laughs) (laughs) my second one i think would be ghost see now I've never gotten super big into ghosts, uh, which is funny because I have a I have one of their vinyls just sitting in my vinyl thing because I got it as a buy two get one free hot topic yeah. in like 2014 15. Mm-hmm. Never listened to them. I have, but I do know that their music has got like it's very thematic around yeah, it. Right, it's got like lore. He got... he plays a character like right like right. his character within Ghost is a thing. Yeah. And then I'll go with a band I've never listened to, but I'm kind of surprised you didn't say because you have recommended this band for this specific reason. And the answer's got to be Guar, right? I've watched some uh, of the music videos, and Guar it seems would perfect. Be amazing, but <laughs> here's the here's the thing: Guar would be amazing for me. I think Coheed would be larger. It'd be more successful on a large scale because it's it's sci-fi. Yeah. In a broad sense, whereas Guar is sci-fi through the lens of satire, and it's kind of like what you talk about with Tenacious D, right? You'd be you'd be pointing at a very specific audience. Yes, but it would absolutely. be amazing, dude. I would make a game where you're Guar and you're going through. I, I would honestly make a game where the the series of it is that you go from Guar when they do the Go to Hell space opera album and you go yeah. through all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> And then as they make their way out of hell and come back to Earth and they start leaving because they're getting tired of their imprisonment on Earth and how they're bound to that planet and go up and then you have the follow-up game be all the events of Lust in Space, which is the mm-hmm. album right after Go to Hell. And that would be... I'll give you... So good. A bonus one. I got a bonus one. I've gone to four now. I've got four. I could actually keep going because you could do a good one with, uh, with Tool. would be a good... Uh, Good game, uh, yeah. good band That'd for that. Be interesting, but okay. Here's my pitch. It's a persona-like JRPG based around romance, starring Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> I was Kiss, thinking you were going to say like a persona JRPG inspired by the lyric, by, by the music of baby metal. That's just as good. Except I wouldn't do, I would do like a Doki Doki Literature Club game with Baby Metal. That would be amazing. That would yeah. be really good. Yes, like it would. Rob Zombie's in there and 
<laughs> all of them. Um, what's that? What's that Russian band that you were real big on for a while? Oh, I Ice Peak. Think of the name of? I would Ice shit Peak. myself. That's an, actually a great one. If anyone can listen to it, I can't recommend you any songs by them because I can't pronounce the names. <laughs> uh, but Ice Peak is fucking awesome. They actually, they have a song with I think it's Bring Me the Horizon or. Wally Sykes, what's the guy's name? Sykes something? Uh, yeah, Ollie Sykes, yeah. Okay, so I didn't make that up. Uh, the song Vampire by them, that's how I found them, and then you can move into Ice Peak. Great stuff. But, um, yeah, I would make a, a Kiss dating sim, because they are, for for how they look, softest band of all time. I don't know. I would even argue that the way they look... Makes them soft. Okay, hold on, hold on. In context of the era, probably not. But when you think about Kiss being so used to what we're used to seeing, like Norwegian death metal and stuff, right? They 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 seem like baby's first Norwegian death metal, or you know, like yeah. um, like death metal stuff where like people paint their face and but with like much more morose looking things. Like mm. Ace Freely and them have got fucking stars and shit on their face. It it's not like a skull or like black paint dripping from you know, right. like black tears dripping from your eyes. It's like, Hey, do you like the visuals of death metal, but the sound of classic rock? <laughs> exactly. And don't get me wrong. Kiss are fantastic. Oh I, yeah. They're actually, a, they're a great band, but if you ever, even looking at them, it's so confusing. I oh, assume yeah. that in the seventies, it wasn't, it no. was probably more like, what the fuck? This is so punk rock, but Men that's also like makeup? seeing, well, that's like seeing, um, uh, D or whatever, D Snyder from uh, Twisted Sister in the music video where he's wearing like, he's got like long hair and a cut off shirt and like, he doesn't look that crazy even when he's in like the crazy ex- you know, the, what, what's the exercise dude Richard Simmons, he's yeah. in like a Richard Simmons workout thing with crazy hair even that is just like okay, I mean I guess at the time that was rebellious, but man yeah. that seems quaint in I, comparison I, to the things that you yeah. see in in pop culture now you know what I mean? It's I like do. in pop culture now, you see Lil Nas X doing his stuff, and it's like at one point in time, Kiss was considered like the the whole country, at least for America, right? Like this is this is the worst thing ever, and this is rebellion, and that was not considered mainstream. And now you have Lil Nas X, you know, yeah. twerking on the, the devil in the mainstream, and I don't give a fuck what he does. I just think that. It's interesting to view modern things like that through the lens of what like Tipper Gore and stuff was thinking in like the right. 80s. <laughs> it's it's like, what up. the hell? The fucked up part is the longer we talk about this, I come up with better answers. Like, okay, here's here's one. Uh, you remember um, Octodad? 100%. Great game. Yeah. So I would make a Beatles game in the style of Octodad but you're the walrus? No. What you are is <laughs> Paul McCartney's replacement if he really had died. <laughs> and you have to spend the whole game <laughs> pretending to be Paul McCartney. <laughs> and that's the whole game. I've got one final answer, then we're going to wrap it up. Um, just because you've inspired me with all your extra answers. <laughs> if we're not going to go with the ones we've already talked about, then my last submission here would be Nine Inch Nails Year Zero. Uh, mm. You could use their whole discography, but Year Zero in particular is already a concept album, and it talks about like a kind of dystopic future world. Um, and I think that of all the bands we've talked about, we haven't really talked about one that's 
besides Ice Peak, even then, we haven't talked about one that's very uh, industrial sounding, you know, where it's like a lot of electronic sounds clashing with real instrumentation. So in that in that <clears throat> sense, I think that having a real glitch-heavy style sci-fi thing set in the world would be really cool um, for the music of Nine Inch Nails. And plus Trent Reznor's he does all sorts of music for all sorts of things now. Mm-hmm. Trent Reznor is a great answer because then you just have you just have background music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not background have, music, but a scores like you have yeah, scores. Yeah, you like genuinely easy. have scores. And what's funny is like you can actually just use Nine Inch Nails albums because they have those ghost albums that they put out where it's it's like no lyrics, it's all music, yeah. and you can just have your game set to that, and you can just try and play off of the emotional resonance of the song. So that could be fun. I like that question. That was fun. Dude, if someone, oh, I know I said we can wrap it up, but because you've put Guar in my head, if if Tim Schaefer were to come up and say, "Let's revisit the idea of brutal legend," but we're gonna do it with Guar, because <laughs> like last time they used Jack Black, right, and they kind of play off of that. If they may, if Double Fine came and Tim Schaefer was like, "We're gonna make a Guar style game, a, a, a Guar game in the style of Brutal Legend." That would be so fucking cool. It would be. I gotta hit up Tim Schaefer and be like, "Before you retire, I need you to make this happen." <laughs> I don't know what it takes. I don't care. Make it happen, man. That would be like. You ever think about things you'd do if you just got like exorbitantly rich? Yeah. I know exactly. What like I a lot of people talk. Out. A lot of people are like, if I won the lottery, this is what I do. I'm not even kidding. If I won the lottery after like my house is, which is already paid off after I just like spruce certain parts of it up so that it would last for another hundred years. If I'm lucky, like, you know, make sure I got a brand new roof, fix any weird things, change little things, pay my car off, maybe buy a brand new one that will last, you know, for a good chunk. I would no joke go and be like, I want to just be an investor I want to find a game studio that I like and I want to be like, let's talk games and let's see if we can come up with something together that I, that mm-hmm. I think sounds cool. And I just want to give you money. I like, yeah, if it's successful, that's awesome. But at this point I just like, if I could go to Tim Schafer and was like, bro, do you like Guar? And he was like, of course. And I was like, <laughs> would you be interested in making a Guar game? And we can put in memory of Odorous Arungus. And he'd be like, 100%. I'd be like, let's fucking go. And I would just give them the money. Which I yeah. guess wouldn't work now because they're owned by Microsoft, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you're making an Xbox exclusive. Then I think if Fuck I if it. if it happens, I'll play it on Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, we're just going now, but I think if I had unlimited money, I would end up. My thing would always be that I would just make, I would just pay artists to make songs together that I want to hear. Like dead ass, like I would go and I'd be like, okay, I want a Kendrick Lamar. Taylor Swift, Courtney LaPlante song. Go. (laughs) How much do I have to pay you three to just sit in the studio together for a week? Yeah, I don't give a shit what you guys make as long as it's fuck. I I would be like, you get bonuses for how much I like the song, right? (laughs) If it becomes my favorite song, you're in. And that's super easy. Could you imagine that song, right? You got Kendrick Lamar verses, and then there's like the Taylor Swift verse. There's the Courtney LaPlante verse, and the chorus is like Taylor layered on top of Courtney. I'm super into that. I'm here for this. <laughs> it works. See, I, I feel like the way you do this is you'd kind of like, uh, you treasure it a little bit or sleep token it because I've been listening to sleep token. Everyone in my life who's been telling me for three years to listen to sleep token, I'm sorry I've taken so long. Um, <laughs> point being, though, is 
you you start with Kendrick busting out a verse, right? And then you come into a real poppy Taylor Swift chorus like you'd expect, yeah. right? And then you come back in with more Kendrick Lamar and then you go into Courtney hitting out a bridge and right, the bridge starts getting low and you're like, oh shit, this is starting to get heavy and she's kind of hitting. And then you come into just a monstrous breakdown with Courtney just fucking laying it down. And then the last chorus is like Taylor singing with Courtney like growling certain parts underneath it and Kendrick doing like hype man shit behind it. You have a perfect song. You have yeah. a perfect song. I just See, it's a perfect it's perfect. I don't even like Kendrick Lamar, and I would still be fucking hyped for that. Oh my god, it's like a love <laughs> song, right? It starts off real nice. The verse from Kendrick, super good. The chorus is Taylor, and then it, as it gets more intense, you hear like Courtney coming up behind him, like going, and then the last one is like Taylor freaking out or Courtney freaking out, and then the last verse is like it all comes back together. Everyone's happy again, and it's Taylor with Courtney. I would aim towards saying that you'd want to speak to what I think all three genres have a the, the most common denominator for them. And I think that would be something that has aggressive energy behind it. Mm. So like Kendrick breakup and rap song. is known for when they have that. Yeah, breakup song. Taylor's known for having kind of slightly, surprisingly, you know, I would say dark because I don't really know that's it. But she has yeah. moments that I think are more adjacent to what you can get out of metal. And then you have Courtney to complement all that. And then so when you have all of that layering in and coming in together, that could sound wicked. I just think if you try and make a song that's aiming to be happy, you can maybe pull that out of the rap and everything else. But I think Courtney will start to feel a little too lost yeah. in, in trying to... I'm just bring that together. I'm just imagining her blessed bee vocals with Taylor Unless Swift vocals. Unless you want vocals. like poppy, I mean, you could you could try and go the poppy route where it's crazy happy sounding, but then it's just you know, it's like breaks. And then I listen. I to, would I would listen to a poppy and Taylor Swift song. So like, I mean, it's on the list. Why not? Yeah, right. Man, that would be sick. Somebody right, give Chris, me well, money. We've gone. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, Chris, hear me out. Become a patron Every- so I can make this happen. <laughs> if you if you want to hear this wild fever dream, Kendrick Lamar, Taylor Swift, uh, Courtney LaPlante song. Uh, by the way, listen to Spirit Box. Also listen, listen to Treasures. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I can never stress listen to Treasures enough. Yeah. Trust me. Listen, listen to Treasures. Listen Brett, to Emoji Because I trusted Brett, and now it's the only thing we listen to in my kitchen. So it's pretty great. That's what I'm talking about. Blessed be. Going up. Blessed be. <laughs> <laughs> All that said, Chris, me and you should, uh, once a month, we should just buy lottery tickets. Okay. Like, because you know people always say if I ever won the lottery and I say that shit all the time and I have never bought a lottery ticket no I won't I don't even know how to do it (laughs) you go to a gas station I don't even know (laughs) I don't even know what you do someone kind of like tried explaining to me and they were like well if you want to win the big billions you have to buy like add-ons and I'm like what (laughs) I don't know how that works but yeah you know we can't win that lottery unless we're actually trying to play it you know yeah, that's true. But I could also just burn my money. So, well, the way I like to think of it is I know I waste at least $20 a week, right? Okay. Like on shit that I don't really need. So, if, if I, if once a month I spent $20 on whatever that is, right? I don't know. $20 may not get you anywhere in a, in a scratch off, not a scratch off, but an actual lottery ticket. Um, but you'll never know. Well, at that point, you're just wasting $40 once a month. So, yeah, but that's not that bad. No, it's not. You're right. 
I only bring that up because, like, whenever I used to work in the restaurant industry, I feel like it's really prevalent there. Uh, we had a cook, David, nice dude. I loved him. He was super sweet. Um, but he would always complain about not having enough money. And then when payday came around, the first thing you'd see this man doing is going and spending, like, a couple hundred dollars on scratch-offs. And every now and then he'd win. And one time he won, like, five grand. But I'm like, how much money did you spend to eventually get to this five grand? Like, and you're constantly saying how you need more money. And as soon as you get paid, you spend so much money on potential money. Oh, but yeah. I had a guy like that, that with gambling. It's insane. Well, you know, the only gambling I do is the occasional Yu-Gi-Oh! pack. That's fair. And I got real lucky. I got a I got a $105 card the other day. Oh, shit. Well, there <laughs> yeah. you go. Why don't you gamble on people listening to the end of the show and subscribing to our Patreon? I will gamble on that. So if you, you want to be part of the community's take that we've yet to tell you, uh, you can head over to our social media at Triangle or at Triangle SQRD on Twitter. You can find us in Facebook on the group Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast, or you can click down in the link in the description below, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on podcast services, and you can find the link to our Discord. Uh, Chris, we have not come up with what we want our thing to be. I feel like at this point, we spent so much time on this music thing. We got to pull this music thing out. Like, right. You get green lit. You can use any band stuff. Let's go. Yeah. Do you want it to be that? Or do you want it to be something a little more serious? Like, uh, will a game ever match mass effect again? You know, <laughs> I want you to give me the band that you want to see play the funeral for the Xbox series S. And why you think the Xbox Series S is going to die. Is it because of subscription services? Is it because it's a potato? Or is it because potato. you really want to see Tenacious D play at the funeral for the Xbox Series S? That's the only reason. <laughs> That's the only reason. No, in all seriousness, I, I like the music thing. I like the fun community's takes. So. Yeah, I do too. Those are pretty wild. So, hey, B-Raj... Thank you, sir. We appreciate giving a question that uh, led to some long, ridiculous conversations. So we hope that those of you who stick around for these things enjoy that. We know not everyone does. Some people want these to be more informative, and we appreciate that. So as we've started doing timestamps, in case you haven't realized, uh, we hope those have been something that have been helpful for those of you who like to get in and listen to what you find interesting. But with that being said... Head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Give as little as a dollar per month to support the show if you feel like you can. If you can, we are very thankful. It helps us do a lot, like keep the show running without having to dig into our own pockets or worry. Helps keep up with any equipment that we need and any costs that come from hosting the show or whatever it be. Tune in next week when we're going to have a guest in. I will announce that soon. I have already confirmed it, but I want to give room just in case something changes before I go shouting it out. Uh, so with all that said... Before we give a shout out to our wonderful patrons who have already given us so much, I would like to remind everyone, play forever, folks. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Triangle Squared, episode 296. Chris, thank you for joining me, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, dog. Absolutely. And we will see you guys next week for 297. Huge shout out to our patrons, Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Savoy Prime, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X. It's a sin to win. 
AKA Sean, Aztec King, Lechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villalobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. Bye.